Number three, all owners, administrators, coaches, and staff must meet with African-centered scholars, the likes of the likes of Dr. Mackey, Dr. Carr, um, Marimba Ani, um, like Dr. Horn, uh, Professor Amon Ra, etc., to undergo sensitivity training, plus attend sessions with the likes of brothers like brothers Carl Mack and others who specialize in the history and dangers of calling oneself an N-I-G-G-E-R. Number, th- number four, donations of $2.5 million from each team to organizations that promote anti-hate and peace initiatives in communities that are currently struggling with the fratricidal violence that has been ongoing in cities throughout the U.S. That's currently happening. That's currently happening right now. And number five, the last one says, administer technical files to any player's who says N-I-G-G-E-R, parentheses A, in games immediately, beginning January 1st, 2023. Anyone using using the word will be hit with a double technical file and ejected from the contest. We're allowing them a semi-grace period to allow for the deprogramming because our people have been programmed so much to do this craziness and uh, what have you. But again, it's allowed. So when Kobe Bryant years ago dropped the F-bomb. I think he was fined like $70,000. Hibbert played for Indianapolis. I think he also was at Georgetown when he was in college. He he said a, a homophobic slur. So he was fined thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, you hear Andre Iguodala. You hear, you hear Kevin Garnett constantly. You hear these players constantly dropping in bombs and nothing happens. It's that cool. Uh, even this white boy, Miles Leonard, and he was even at a game, but he was, I think, playing some video game and got mad and said the K-word. And so not only did he get fined and eventually released from Miami, he got banished to Oklahoma City, and now he's not even in the league anymore. So that's that's allowable. Now, when it comes to the NBA and their official events, there's a clip of the rapper 21 Savage performing at the Atlanta Hawks halftime show at the Omni, rapping about his song. The song was entitled uh, Bank Account. He's rapping this song. And this song, he, in this song, he says, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight shooters ready to gun you down, ready to gun you down. That's repeated 18 times in that song. That's part of the chorus, ready to gun you down. He says in this song, my Glock is cocked. I don't give no F about who I hit. And this is the song he's performing at at an NBA game. There's another rapper, uh, Rich Homie Quan, performing also in Atlanta. He's he's uh, rapping the song "Ooh Ooh Ooh Flex." Get that H O E some X. She's gonna want a sex every end in the set. So basically, giving her some ecstasy. She's out of her mind, and now she's gonna have a train ran on her. This is performed at an NBA basketball game, official NBA basketball game. I asked this brother about this at a high school one time, a referee basketball, and I asked this young brother at a junior high school, actually, about that song. And he said, yeah, I know that song. I said, what would you do if somebody uh, did, if your mother wanted to like, go out and have a good time and somebody put a Mickey in her drink and they so sexually assaulted? And that young brother said straight up, oh, it's killing time. It's killing time. And this is what's, again, on the radio and performed and pushed at an NBA game. So 
and this this persists. It continues. A couple more examples of this is like the rapper Drake, who um, just recently. Matter of fact, let me tell you about Drake. Drake's mother is European uh, Jew, Jewish lady. Drake's father is the brother of Larry Graham from Graham Central Station, Sly and the Family Stone fame. Drake constantly drops in bombs. Constantly drops in bombs in his music. Never will he say anything derogatory about the uh, European side of his, his uh, because he knows better. He knows better. And that goes to um, the things that, it, it really is in line with what, we, what we're dealing with here, that we have to start as the people, you know, putting, putting more of these fools in check. We have to start doing that. So Drake had a song called Look, Look Dead. The song was called Look Alive, but we call it Look Dead. He, he, he talks about the ends that pull up on his side and we're going to send them to the other side. And so that just simply means we're going to kill them and they're going to go to the afterlife, to the other side. Then he says, oh, well, F them, dog. We're going to see how hard they ride. And so basically, you know they're coming back. So you lay low. And we're going to see how hard they ride. And then we see how hard they ride when we look at the news. And me and my brother outside, you know, chilling one day with children there also. When they rolled, didn't see what they wanted, they saw somebody and shot them up. That's how hard they ride. Again, this is the type of artist that's performing at NBA events. This is the type of artist that we see being interviewed just the other day when the Nets, Kyrie's back, so... Um, he's playing again. So the Nets played Toronto the other day. Kyrie couldn't go to Toronto last year, I think, because that was a, a, one of the cities that if you didn't get that jab, they would let you in. So he was he was in there. So, but, but Drake is there, and again, they're interviewing him. It, he's all over there, but he drops in bombs all the time. And that's, that's what we're getting at when we say a band, all songs, all artists from participating in your official NBA events who record and perform songs that drop in bombs on us and call for the shooting and killing of black people. And that's what he calls for. And that's what they call for. This dude had, did a song a couple of years ago called Life is Good. This song was nominated for a Grammy and also an NAACP Image Award. And this song, he's in there with no future. And they talk about shooting up a hearse after somebody they murk is having, at a funeral. They're paying somebody drug money to shoot up the hearse. And we got these shootings going on. This song was it was popular at the time when 15 people were shot at a funeral in Chicago. Ten of them sisters. One sister, they say, got her breast shot off. And you turn on the radio, and they're playing this song, oh, Life is Good, with lyrics like that. And the NAACP Image Award nominates it for the award. This is how pervasive and crazy this stuff is, and it has to be dealt with. So um, I was talking about these contradictions that, that are, that are, that are being brought out because these brothers are not acquiescing as quick. They're holding their ground. They're, they're, they're stating the obvious and they're, they're holding their ground and not apologizing to the extent that they want them to apologize. So we appreciate that. But that, that goes, that goes different from like, uh, I mentioned 21 Savage earlier. And after he did the song called bank account, where he talked about um, shooters that are ready to gun you down to the amount of 18 times in that song. LeBron James listened to another a new song by him where he mentions Jewish money. So LeBron James, our tallest, most strongest, most popular athlete pretty much right now, arguably, he, he was made to apologize pretty quick. He apologized pretty quick about this, Kyrie's uh, former, uh, former teammate. So 
listen, I listened to the song, and he also talked about shooting the end in the chest, in the, uh, in the torso, which is probably going to kill him, but he simply said Jewish money. Now, 21 Savage performed at a bar mitzvah. A lot of these rappers are, are, are um, see, a lot of these, um, and you all know this, you always hear the stuff about how many people buy these albums and buy their music. It's mostly buy, bought by Europeans. Well, a lot of these rappers perform at these modern-day minstrel shows, and tickets are three, four, five, hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars tickets. So a lot of times, you know, Africans, we can't afford that. We listen to what we can. Some of us spend our waste our money and go to these modern day pornographic minstrel shows. They're they're much more uh violent and pornographic than the minstrel shows of the past. But this is what pretty much what all these things what what they're doing. So recording in progress. They get they get people like Lil Yachi and like the four mentioned 21 Savage to perform. So he was performing this song and got paid 800000 or something like that, close to a million dollars to perform this song, bank account, about shooting and killing Africans, about how his Glock is cocking, not giving an F about who he hit. He was paid Jewish money. So he simply said that in that, in that song. LeBron had to apologize for listening, it, listening to it and retweeting it. And then uh, 21 Savage, the Savage 21 Savage also had to apologize for... Um, and he apologized right away. So this this is like a lot of hypocrisy that happens and the contradictions that happen. And again, this is why it, it's good that these brothers did not acquiesce so quickly. So we're, we're, um, we're, we're sharing this with the NBA Players Association, with the teams. And uh, so we're going to need we're gonna need some support also. And, and I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you're, you're supposedly, again, trying to eliminate this so-called hate and this disrespect and this offensive content, don't leave us out. Don't leave African people out. It's time for you to do that. Well, um, a couple more things about the project I want to say before I finish up. I know we're getting uh, getting near that time, but the Clear the Airways project is a project, and our, our, our movement is based on getting this violent, vulgar, pornographic music off these radio stations, again, that target our children. Every time our children turn tune into a radio station that specifically targets them, they're being called N's, B's. They've been told they should kill each other. It's, it's pornography. It's um, ignorant materialism. It's drug use. It's drug slang. It's alcohol abuse. Constantly. That's pretty much all it is. It don't stop. It's 24-7, 365 on radio stations all around the country. The iHeart station, we call them No Heart. They have at least 28 of them around the country pushing this poison on the masses of our children. And we've been at this for some time. We spoke at CEMOTAP uh, several years ago, and then I know Brother McIntosh and Sister Betty had us uh, at a meeting, and we met, among other people, uh, Brother Bob Law there, and we're now working with the National Black Leadership Alliance and have been working with them for some time dealing with this issue. As a matter of fact, we have an upcoming, I don't have the date for it yet, but we have an upcoming music summit to specifically deal with this issue. Another thing we did with um, with um, the National Black Leadership Alliance to clear the airways project is that we uh, we had a resolution introduced in June, Black Music Month of 2019, condemning the ratchet killer radio stations in New York, the Hot 97s and the Power 105, and that followed a resolution from Rage Against the Ratchet that they did in their Philly in Wilmington, Delaware and a resolution that we had passed in Gary, Indiana, with the city council in Gary, Indiana. But this resolution in New York City 
which is everybody knows it's the largest city in this country, would have so much impact, but it's just sitting there. It's been sitting there now for going on three years. And it, it has to be heard. We we work with Single Tab, Educate to Empower, and we sent letters to each and every city council member in New York asking them to please hear this resolution and pass this resolution. We told them that songs like Throw Babies would not have been number one if you had passed them when you were supposed to. A song about throw babies. And you can just imagine what that song is about. Number one in the country for African children and youth. song called mm-hmm. Back in Blood where the rapper says, I ain't got nowhere to go. I didn't shot up everywhere they was in the chorus. And this was during the year 2021, where the U.S. set a record for nearly 20,000 homicides, where nearly 60% of those homicides victims were African people. And we're nothing but, what, 13% of the population? And it's promoted and pushed in this music, in the same music that, again, is pushed and promoted by the NBA. Same music that a lot of these people in this music industry who they themselves admitted, progress. You know, who they themselves admitted uh, are the of the Jewish Zionist faith or Jewish Zionists, and so you know when we deal with these issues, they throw anti-Semitic. Well, our people are dying, and this is what a lot of you all and others. You know, we got others like L.A. Reid and other others who are pushing this uh, this poison on our on the masses of our people too, and they have to stop. They have to stop. So that's that's why we just wanted to share that with the people. You can check out uh, our information at Clear the Airways project on Facebook and also um, cleartheairwaysproject.org and again we work with the National Black Leadership Alliance and the National Congress of Black Women and Rage Against the Ratchet and other groups and organizations and CMOTAP of course who are working to do something about this scourge on African life so I appreciate the time and I'll be I'll be here um, for a little while so appreciate y'all Okay, uh, Brother Kwabena, thank you so much. And I thank you for pointing out that the contradiction between monitoring people's tweets, demanding the NBA demanding that they pay fines and uh, learn about hate, while at the same time the same people are promoting and producing and permitting the music that is causing people to not only be offended, but to actually perhaps get killed or to perhaps possibly to themselves kill someone else. So, and, bro- and, brother, James, and brother James, I'm sorry, because again, this no it, problem, no problem. It, it, reminded, it reminded me of this one last piece. So like the Migos, the Migos, right, right in the midst of this, this issue with Ye and Kyrie, one of the Migos members offset was killed in Houston, Texas. And so the Migos... The Migos were the, were the official NBA artists for the All-Star Game a couple of years ago. Just goes to show what we're talking about. And they make songs like, you know, I'm run up in your house with the shoddy, and by the way, your mama might be at home. They made Bad and Bougie, a song that talked about all the things that we talk about that are issues with this music. And they are the official NBA artists for the All-Star Game. And so, again, the contradictions and hypocrisy. And this brother's now, again, dead and gone, offset from... Um, not offset, I'm sorry, uh, takeoff from the Migos. Okay. Uh, Brother Kwabena, I, I thank you again. And I want to, before I, I present, i uh, let you know that Brother uh, Dr. James Small came into the room, and I'm going to give him the option of uh, going now or going uh, last. But some of the things I want us to have in mind, and I'll tell you that I will deal with it in my presentation, is how does uh, a person's tweet 
get spread all over the country so quickly. How do people know what Kanye is tweeting? And why do some people have to apologize and other people who have committed even great offenses don't apologize, don't have to apologize, and not ask to apologize? And if anything, the offenses that these people have committed is so much greater. And then it'll also, we want to take a look at what about the things that they are calling tropes? Are these things lies or are they true? Are we permitted to uh, speak true? Are we not? I thought that the First Amendment even permitted you to spread something that might be incorrect. So these are some questions that we want to ask, and it's not magic how this happens. It's not magic how this spreads all over the country. It's not magic how someone knows what we are tweeting. Now, someone is unmuted. I don't know. Professor Small, is there any, I only see, the only one I see unmuted is Professor Small. Professor Small, is there anything going on in your background? Probably, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, I don't think this brother needs an introduction, but I'll tell you that he was instrumental in the struggle in uh, at City College that that resulted in all kinds of things, such as the Black Studies Department. And he has been involved in the struggle on a number of different levels. He's been a, a teacher, a professor at colleges and teaches all kinds of things among them. Uh, I don't know anybody who is a greater expert on African spirituality. And uh, brother has, uh, the the other thing is uh, he and I, we if I'm in Harlem, apparently over the years, it looks like maybe we've grown, I don't know if we've grown more apart or grown alike in the way that we look. Sometimes he wears his hair long, then you look around, my hair is long. Sometimes I put mine short, and then I look at his is short. Sometimes I don't have a beard, he doesn't have a beard. Then I put a beard, then he has a beard. So there's something, uh, that, some kind of a way that we're in tune. And when I'm in Harlem, when somebody comes up to me and they go, hey, hey man, you still up on the hill? I, I just say, yeah, because I know they have me mixed up. Uh, with Professor James Small, and I imagine he must do the same thing. Uh, at any rate, uh, Professor Small was one of the first defenses that I saw of uh, Kyrie. And uh, I, I gave him a call, and I told him this thing was bothering me. And he agreed to come and to uh, speak to us. And so I'm going to get out of his way. Uh, this is Professor James Small. As I said before, all of you uh, know him, former lecturer at First World Alliance, former lecturer at City College, and has been all over the world uh, with his knowledge. Professor James Small, thank 100 you. 100 people participating. Professor Small, did I mute you? Yes, yes, yes I'm, okay. I'm back. All right. You're going to hear a little bit in my background because you wouldn't. Be, I'm not going to even tell you where I'm at trying to do your podcast right now. But I didn't want to miss out, um, brother Quabena. That was an absolute brilliant presentation. Thank you so much. Um, we got to get together. Um, and Dr. Jeffrey good. has yes, a hotel together in Ghana. Mm-hmm. I know, I know that. Um, okay. So that that was brilliant. Well, that's that's basically you know them. I worked with, you know, Dr. Jeffries for a while when he was looking at putting um, Obama in office. Uh-huh. Okay. So, 
the, the piece I want to contribute, and I don't have the time I wish I had, but mm-hmm. I'm going to be listening to it afterwards, was the whole question, I mean, put the First Amendment aside. There is no historical evidence for the white community that claims to be Jews to claim ownership to the religion of the Hebrews. There's absolutely no historical evidence, anthropological, archaeological, or historical evidence that allows for anyone of European hue, heritage, and background to have ownership to the religions of the Hebrews that occurs at a period of time in Northeast Africa when they break away from Egypt. And so, so because you own something or claim something don't make you the owner of that thing. And the, that movie, I haven't even watched it because I don't need to watch it. I know the story. Okay. Hebrews are African people. Even white people will admit to that in any of their dialogue. They'll talk about the Bene Israel, meaning the Hebrews who migrated after white invasions into Ethiopia and southern Sudan, so they accept the reality of that. They talk about the fact that in their Bible, that Moses, this is their official literature, saying that Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Well, we know now the Egyptians, the Cometians, are African peoples. So they proclaim that everything that Moses brings to the table to create what we call the Hebrew culture and religion comes from Egypt. They acknowledge that. They acknowledge in their literature that Moses marries an Ethiopian woman, a priestess. They acknowledge that. And so what we have to begin to understand is that let people not play with history. Kyrie didn't do anything wrong. This is a power play by people with power and money. The same people that murdered Sam Cooke, by the way. The same people that probably murdered Otis Redding. These are the same people that murdered Tupac and Biggie. Let's stop playing. We know what the truth is. And these were all political and economic murders. Political and economic murders. To keep control of the distribution of an instrument of a culture, music. Music is one of the most powerful instruments of a culture. And a culture is the primary education system of a people. And when you understand that, the process we call socialization, the socialization process, how a people get their values, interests, and principles is primarily projected by what we call the theater crafts with the largest and most powerful component of that craft being music. And so you're not only making billions off of the people you're oppressing, you're controlling the instrument of the of oppression and using them to drive that instrumental control over themselves. So I just see something so you can see what you share here. I don't know what that is. Can you still hear me, Brother McIntosh? We hear you. Okay, good, because my screen just went blank. All right, but that.
You're on mute now. Okay, brothers, uh, brother Small, they can't hear you right now. Let us um, stop the share. Okay, let's just see. Hold on with us. Bear with us, please, for a minute. We're having a couple of little technical difficulties here that I think we can straighten out. Okay, let's stop this year. Okay, Professor Small, are you still there? Let me find James Small. Okay, you're back. Professor Small, unmute yourself. Okay. So I'm going to be short on this. The key thing is that all of the, the history on the theology of the Abrahamic religions, all of the literature on it isn't produced until centuries after the literature in Kemet, which contains all of the components. From the Adam and Eve story, you find that in ancient Kemet. From the, the Christ mother-child story, you find that in ancient Kemet. Even the way the Muslims prayer, you find those steps in ancient Kemet. All of that literature that make up the so-called Abrahamic religion, the Tenth Commandments, you find four or five thousand years earlier as the 42 admonitions of Ma'at. And so there is nothing in the literature that is called the Torah or the Bible or the Quran. There's nothing in that lit- body of literature that isn't already predated in written and sculpt facts on in stone by Africans tens of thousands of years earlier. And, and for them to pretend that none of this information that filled the museums of the world exists is pure insanity on their part or just plain fear and cowardice on our part because we've been learning about Kemet and the blackness of Northeast Africa since Dr. Ben came forward with the big push teaching us from Dr. Hilliard and Dr. Carruthers and others, uh, Sister Dunji and others have come to show us that this is our civilization, that these invaders, starting with the Hyksos invasion, followed by the Hittite invasion, followed by the Assyrian invasion, followed by the white Persian invasion, followed again by the Greek invasion, the Roman invasion. It is that group of white invaders raping and molesting our population that produce even the brown skin element we call Arabs. This white skin element of Eastern European Khazars. And the literature is on the Khazars as a kingdom who was a mercenary kingdom that fought for any side that paid them, choosing Judaism or Hebrewism as a religious methodology. And they made a choice over, and they chose that this is after Islam coming to being, and they make that choice because they thought it was the least, the most passive of the three. And so these people live basically in what we now call Eastern Russia. I think now they call them the Ashkenazis. And so now they dominate the land in the Middle East, and they dominate the literature of the world, and they've gotten great dominance in America and the commercial banking industry, and they've gotten very wealthy of being the retailers in the African-American community for nearly 100 years. 
So making billions upon billions and then controlling both our music and our cinema in terms of the images that is displayed of African people. And again, whoever controls the images controls the minds and, 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 and controls the imagination of a people. If you control images and you control the music that informs with the ideas and principles, you're controlling even the dreams of a people, the aspirations of a people. Any good psychologist will tell you this. And so we have to just give these young men, um, yeah, um, yay, have done a lot of off-the-board stuff. But let us handle his chastisement. Our enemy have no right chastising any of our children for any reason. And the same thing with the young man, Kyrie. Tweeting something and the whole world's going to come down on your head. Presidents of nations going to speak out against you. And I thought Brother Kwabana outlined the crime, the hate crimes against us that happens on a daily basis, especially in the, the music and the cinema that's paid for by the same people, owned and controlled by the same people that's accusing these two young men, you know? So we just have to be clear in how we think and how we teach what we teach. And the one thing we need to be doing is doing more teaching of our history. History erases his mystery. I say that all the time. It sounds simple, but your history known to you erases their mystery, which in control and influence how you think. And so when you know and understand history, you can laugh at this, and it's better to organize your people. Because I'm still thinking, even with my bad leg, I need to go and set up a picket line in front of the stadium out in Brooklyn. We can't let them walk away easy. They're still walking away too easy. I've done three pieces criticizing them, but they're walking away too easy. And we've got to deal another kind of blow. The economic blow is the best weapon we've got. $1.8 trillion. Extract as much of that back from them as we possibly can will lead many of them into bankruptcy. So the key thing is there's no facts that allows for anybody than Africans to hold claim to the Hebrew tradition. None whatsoever. The only evidence shows that the Africans are the only group that can put ownership on the Hebrew tradition so they can get upset all they want. Tell them, come to the table with the historical facts, bring them, bring our historians, bring our anthropologists, archaeologists that sit at the table before the whole world, show me that that's your identity, and I'll show you that that is my identity that you stole. And we got to be bold enough to tell them, I'll be glad to give up my space at that table for Minister Farrakhan, you know, or sit beside him and just hand him his notes because we know what the truth is. All black people are not Hebrews, but all Hebrews in the original colony were black people. And we ought to be clear about that. So, Brother James, you know I'm on the run and I'm in somebody's house actually doing this. I stop along the way. I need to ask you one question, though, Professor Small. Yes, sir. I understand why people who are fearful... Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't say anything because these are people with teeth. This is not hair hunting. This is bear hunting. Yeah. I understand why, um, you know, people who have a nickel in that quarter or a penny in that nickel 
stay quiet because they are, you know, if you're working for the NBA, you're trying to play basketball, you know, you can understand. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Tell me why so many activist organizations, uh, what you would call the radicals, uh, why, why, why are they quiet? Lack of knowledge of self. Something the Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us from day one. But Malcolm has taught to us, and if you don't really know who you are, you actually believe that they're who they are or who they say they are. Not knowing your history should be made a crime because there's so many people in the conscious community that pick up political issues, and thank God that they do, but they have not anchored themselves in their identity. Dr. Hayser Hilliard said, true freedom, true freedom is to be anchored and shackled your identity. Your identity is your ancestral history. And if you're not anchored and shackled to that, you're just blowing in the wind. And anybody can influence and manipulate which way you blow. And that's what we see happening. Thank you, Professor Small. And I know you have a busy day and you took, you know, you had, I mean, I know some of what was going on this morning with you yeah. and I appreciate you for coming in and, and talking to us and giving us uh, those pearls. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Brother Quabender, again, so much, my brother. That was beautiful. Brother, it's an honor to be on here with you too, brother. And we need to talk too. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk about another uh, issue too. So I'll talk to you soon, man. I appreciate you, brother. And, you know, all your work you've been doing over the years, man. Peace and blessings. I used, to hear you, I used to hear you on with uh on Chicago on VON with uh with Dorothy Tillman a lot too. Yes, yes, that's my people. Yeah. All right, well, peace and blessings. Do the work. Okay, um, I, I I'm going. We're going to have uh, uh people speaking from organizations uh, who want to participate. We are from uh, just people who are in the audience to want to participate. Uh, right now, I'm going to try to remove some of the mystery around why people are moving in certain ways. And I'm going to, um, I like to use pictures always. So I'm going to share the screen with a PowerPoint and try to give some context for this. And I hope that uh, you find it uh, useful. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to share the screen. And then we're going to share the sound. Okay, and um, the first slide, people who came on early, you saw Minister Farrakhan do some analysis on this. He spoke about the relationship that our artists and our athletes have with this ethnic community from where some of the complaints are coming. He also spoke about uh, the fact that, you know, basically they make money for all, but that the fact that these people want to control uh, what our athletes and our performers say. I don't get distracted by requiring that these athletes be perfect people. We have all kinds of uh, uh, beef that we may have with them for various things. Not, you know, not, I'm not saying necessarily with these two, but I don't. I try not to get distracted with that. So uh, let me let me just see one thing, uh, Sister Amadi Ajamu. Did you want to speak before I speak, or do you want to, or do you want to, or, um, do you want to wait until the uh, till everyone speaks? Okay, I thought she said she wanted to say something. Uh, just unmute yourself. Remember to unmute yourself, uh, Sister Amadi, if you have something to say. 
Okay. Okay, going once, twice. I'm going to uh, now begin. So I want to start with, uh, I, I don't really want to say even a broken clock is right twice a day, but I know a lot of people have problems with Candace Owens. I really don't know her that well to know much about her. I just know that people kind of say that she says things uh, uh, maybe that are, uh, you know, what you would call coming from the right wing or something, but I don't really know. So I'm not going to say anything against her because unfortunately the first time I heard her, she's speaking cold logic. So I'm going to let you share that. Uh, I'm going to share that with you, I should say. Uh, so we're going to go slideshow from current slide. I want you to listen to her arguments. It's important to underscore, first and foremost, the absurdity of the media, the way that they are behaving in that press conference. They are essentially approaching him, pretending that every single word of the documentary that Kyrie Irving did not make, he has to answer for. Could you imagine a world in which everything you watch, right, you are somehow now responsible for every single word within it? Notably absent, by the way, is the press going up to Jeff Bezos, who is the owner of Amazon, who runs Amazon, and saying, hey, why did you allow this documentary to be on Amazon? There are, there's no outcry. There's no everybody delete your Amazon accounts because of this documentary. They are putting this firmly and squarely on Kyrie Irving, which is problematic in the first place. I want to also make it clear that in listening to his words, it is pointedly ridiculous that they would say that he is unfit to be associated with. There was nothing that he said, but I would say that he is unfit to be associated with because he very clearly condemns the falsities in the movie. He says, I do not think this way. He actually calls them falsehoods that are unfortunate, right? He says that that is not what I said. Do not attribute every word in this documentary to what my beliefs are. He also very clearly stipulates to them when they ask him, are you anti-Semitic? He clarifies that he's not anti-Semitic. Now, why is Kyrie Irving saying that? Why is he saying I can't be anti-Semitic? That he hails from maybe Africa or from Asia, which is what the documentary explores. I'm going to give you my feedback because obviously I watched the documentary after listening to this, right? His feedback is, do not make the word Semitic just about Jewish people in America. It includes a lot of other people, okay? Now, you might disagree with that. You might disagree with the Oxford Dictionary definition, but you can't be mad at him for stating the actual Oxford Dictionary definition, a last thing that I want to say here, uh, just regarding his press conference, and I, I want to say this really from the heart, because there was so much pressure that was put upon me to condemn Kyrie Irving, right? To condemn Kyrie Irving based on this press conference, to basically decide that his pain is irrelevant. When I watched this press conference, I felt Kyrie's pain. I felt his pain, and I will say this emotionally and not rationally, as a black person, People don't often think about how bizarre it is that we don't know where we come from, right? We don't know. If you ask the majority of white people, they'll say, oh, my family's from Scotland. My husband's family can go back so many generations and talk about where they're from in England. And when you talk to most people, they have this sort of cultural understanding of their history. We don't. It's a weird feeling. You do sort of feel out of place. And yes, of course, it's because of the slave trade. And I'm not throwing that on anybody. I'm not saying that it's somebody else's fault. But what Kyrie Irving says is that you can't pit atrocity against another atrocity and basically say that his pain doesn't matter, that his 
noble pursuit of wanting to know where he came from, even if he landed on the wrong conclusions, is something that he is valid in feeling. It's a journey that he is valid in wanting to go on and wanting to partake in. So no, I'm not going to turn my back on Kyrie Irving and pretend that he's an awful human being based on this press conference. It's wrong. There are a lot of people that feel that they're in pain from the Jewish community because they're upset that he shared this link. But also, if you're not paying attention, there are a lot of black Americans that are telling you that they feel that they're in pain because you're telling them that they're not allowed to feel the way they feel about not, about not understanding their roots. Are you sorry for the hurt that your posts caused people? I take my responsibility for posting that. I didn't mean to cause any harm. I'm not the one that made the documentary. I think uh, some of the criticism of the Jewish faith in the community, for sure. Some points made in there that were uh, unfortunate. Again, I'll repeat it. Something on my Instagram or Twitter that may have had some unfortunate falsehoods in it. It's not that I don't believe in the Holocaust. I never said that. I never, ever have said it. It's not come out of my mouth. I never tweeted it. I never liked anything like it. So, just please keep that same energy when you guys are addressing me. Kyrie, for the record, do you have any anti-Semitic beliefs? Again, I'm going to repeat. I don't know how the label becomes justified because you guys ask me the same questions over and over again. But this is not going to turn into a, a spin around cycle of questions upon questions. I told you guys how I felt. I respect all walks of life and embrace all walks of life. That's where I sit. Okay, so now somehow Kyrie's... Okay. Uh, do I have to mute someone else? Okay. So now, one of the questions I ask is, how did this magically appear all over, and how did Kyrie's tweets get known? Uh, my theory is is that his tweets got known because there are people who monitor us. Uh, there are people, monitor is a kind word. There are people who spy on us. And one of the organizations that uh, has a reputation for this and has a history of this type of thing is the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith. And you saw that they were all involved in negotiations as to what Kanye should do as retribution for, I mean, not as retribution, but I mean as a compensation for his uh, alleged sins. So we have here the Center on Extremism. And you see they have a heat map to show you where Every uh, incident of, quote, hate, extremism, anti-Semitism, and terrorism, and allows users to better understand extremist tactics. So one of the things they say they're against, they say that they are against uh, extremism. I'm going to have to go here and mute these people. Mute, 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 mute. Okay. Ask everybody to please stay muted. So I think it's ironic. Let's put a little context also for these things that are happening to Kanye and that happened to, to Kyrie. I'm going to try to move these slides. There we go. So, you know, there's been the question, is Zionism the same thing as Judaism? And there's people who argue that they're the same thing, but let's just talk about the ADL's position, which is there against extremism. We have this man here, one of the leaders of Israel. He won the Nobel Peace Prize, so I would imagine he'd have to be against uh, extremism, right? 
but yet we find he was involved in terrorist activities in the formation of Israel as a uh, as a uh, as a as a nation. He was a part of something called the Ergun Zavadi Leumi. Uh, I've seen other places where they call it the Stern Gang, and one among the actions that he took, one of them was the bombing. Uh, of the administrative headquarters of a hotel, and it was the King David Hotel. It resulted in 91 people, mostly British, uh, being killed. So this is what the ADL says is their problem with the movie that con- that uh, Kyrie tweeted. They said that although much of the film deals with this historical and genetic da 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 da, that it includes extensive, they said, extensive anti-Semitism, including claims of a global Jewish conspiracy to oppress and defraud black people. Conspiracy is a very difficult thing to approve under any circumstances. But one of the things they're upset with is they say allegations that Jews are in part responsible for the slave trade. Wow. How do you question whether or not Jews were in partially responsible for the split because it doesn't say uh, totally just in part well Spaniards were partially uh, responsible Catholics were partially responsible Protestants were partially responsible English French German Belgians so how is it that they feel that Jews were not in part responsible for the transatlantic slave trade when we look at it we see that this guy Isaac DePinto was a director of the Dutch East India Company and later in the Dutch West India Company. So I think most people that had high school history know what the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch West India Company were involved in. All of us have heard of the triangular trade involving molasses and slaves, etc. So they had to at least be partially involved with it. This is a rabbi who wrote a book about the Dutch Jewish um, uh, role in the uh, in the slave trade. I want to go back, and this is Seymour Dreischer, a historian, uh, who talks about that they have been, may have been accounted for 50, you know the sale of at least fifteen thousand slave people on the Caribbean island of Curacao alone. So, one of the things they, that they're putting down as a list is something that was anti-Semitic is really just cold history. In fact, this this connection between Zionism uh, as a as a political issue and the religion uh, and, and I, I should say and racism was so strong that the General Assembly voted in 1975 to define Zionism as a form of racism, and this stuck. Many, many other world bodies and conferences signed on to it. And you can see they continued to sign on to this up until 1984. Now, of course, there was great resistance to this, and there was great pressure to make the General Assembly stop doing this. And by 1991, uh, they were able to do this. It's not about black people versus Jews. We have here, this is Lenny Brenner who defines the ADL early. He's telling you how they falsify history. And if we could go through the whole article, I would go through it. But a couple of things I wanted to point out was he said, 
Jewish scholars emphasize that uh, Southern Jewry was nearly unanimous in support of slavery and that only an insignificant percentage of Northern Jews were abolitionists. So this is Lenny Brenner, who is a Jewish man. He's certainly he can't be against himself. He's not uh, uh, anti uh, anti Jewish. He's telling you that almost all of the Southern uh, Jewish plantation owners they were in favor of slavery. Uh, and then um, he he does he also ad- addresses the book that has been you know they just write all the time. You just repeat a thing enough and. You can make other people repeat it. They say that the book, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, is anti-Semitic. This book is just cold history. Professor Clark said so. Professor Clark analyzed this book and said that it was good scholarship. But one of the things they point out is that maybe they didn't give credit to Jews that were involved in the abolitionist movement. Well, Lenny Brennan says that was only a few people. He does fault them for not noting that three people were involved with John Brown when he was in the war down in uh, Kansas uh, against slavery. And that's a significant uh, uh, omission, but it doesn't make something uh, anti-Semitic. This book lists for you all of the ways in which uh, there has been Jewish involvement in our oppression. This is Lenny Brunner, just to show you, he's no joke. This was an editorial he wrote to the Post. That's the first page, to to the uh, Amsterdam News. That's the first page. That's the second. That's the third. That's the fourth. And then this event happened in 1991, that same year that they stopped calling uh, Zionism racism. This author, Fred Dicker, from the Albany desk, he's a, a correspondent to the New York Post, He may be other things, too, which we'll get into in a minute, but he was the one who launched this attack on Professor Leonard Jeffries because Professor Jeffries had given a speech up in Albany to a standing ovation, lots of whites in the audience, uh, no problem. Two weeks later, they came with what Zamga Brown calls the hatchet job on Leonard Jeffries. looks like maybe this one has been obliterated. We'll come back to it. This is a part of an article. Okay, this is, this is Wilbur Tatum. Black people didn't remain silent when they attacked Dr. Jeffries. Wilbur Tatum did editorial after editorial and allowed other people to write editorials that were counter to it. Ironically, uh, the writer Nayaba Arende wrote an article uh, that was posted in the... Uh, Amsterdam News, and the article was there one minute on their online, and on that Friday, it was removed early in the day. I don't know why, but I have my suspicions, and I'm going to get to those a little bit later. Wilbur Tatum didn't allow them to intimidate him. He was, in fact, married to a Jewish woman, but he didn't ease up off of them. These are all editorials that came in which he is exposing the ADL for what they were, the Anti-Defamation League. This is Professor Clark, who's responding to a piece that uh, uh, Professor Gates, he's had to respond to him on more than one occasion. On this occasion, it was about the issue of uh, 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 black and Jewish relationships. And uh, Professor Clark goes on, he's not a Holocaust denier, but he tells you, that 
several times more Africans were killed uh, by that. The Belgians killed three times that many people in the Congo. He points out that in Australia, the British on an island called Tasmania killed every single man, woman, and child. They committed genocide on them totally. He goes into the numbers of people that were killed throughout the uh, the, 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 the the Arab slave trade, which preceded the uh, the European transatlantic slave trade by a thousand years. And many black people were lost in that also. And, you know, he goes on to say many of this is only one of the times that Professor Clark had to confront this guy. This is an article that shows you that although the ADL presents itself as a uh, as a civil rights organization, uh, this is a black worker who says that at their annual event, which I believe is called the Torch of Liberty, I might have said the Torch of Freedom, Torch of Liberty ceremonies, uh, they permitted a minstrel show, a blackface minstrel show. And that the the one of the 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 uh the kind that Al Josen and Eddie Cantor did, who were also Jewish performers, by the way. And what happened is is that the young lady complained and they told her at the event, so what? Then later when they got back to the headquarters and she tried to complain, they just basically told her that, you know, it didn't happen. But she knows whether it happened or not, she was there. All of the black leaders that you can imagine have been uh, targeted as being anti-Semitic, uh, and these include uh, both people I agree with and disagree with, but I'm going to just skip all of that. Um, here's another article Tatum ran uh, showing that the Anti-Defamation League tried to uh, override Minister Farrakhan and the Black Caucus showing you uh, that the Black Caucus was getting harassed over their association with Farrakhan. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you to mute yourself again. I guess they're going to just cause me to do this over and over. we got to go and uh, monitor these people, okay? Uh, let's mute. Let's mute. Okay, we'll go back to this again. Okay, so get rid of that. This is another one. This was the New Alliance Party. They found that they were on the list of anti-Semitic groups, which you can imagine Fred Newman being their uh, leader. Uh, that this is this is ironic. This is this is laughable. But they wrote a letter, uh, as did Simotap, asking Murdoch to investigate the ADL. Now, why did we ask them to investigate the ADL? We asked them to do that because in uh, 1992 or 1993, a investigation of the San Francisco branch of the ADL led to a search warrant being served on their headquarters. And in that search warrant, in the execution of that search warrant by a guy named Roth, a sheriff named Roth, they were able to determine that the FBI, uh, that, that, pardon me, the ADL, that's an interesting slip. One, that the ADL had long-standing relationships with the FBI, dating all the way back to the 40s. And that not only did they have these long-standing relationships, the FBI actually shared, or, or I should say with them were shared through a police officer, secret FBI documents. The police officer in the case, his name was 
Gerard and one of the fact finders, that was the other thing that came out, that the ADL ran a large group of people called fact finders who both worked in the media, uh, they worked in broadcasts and print media, and so that any time they wanted to smear somebody, they could make a story appear all over. These people also did surveillance. They watched people, and they watched a lot of black people for no reason that had anything to do with anti-Semitism. They watched a brother named Kermit Eady, who had formed something here called the Black United Fund. All that it was involved in was getting black people to get control of their charitable dollars through the mechanism of payroll deduction. You would be able to donate to an organization which would oversee a lot of charities and, and make donations to a lot of charities, and you could do it right from your paycheck. And you would end up being able to make a nice donation. If you just gave $5 a week, uh, at the end of the year, that'd be a $250 donation that you made to black charity. And obviously, you can figure that out if you make $50 every, you know, if you donate $50 every week, how that can happen. And, you know how that can add up and then also if you get lots of people uh, so it's like a union a union you pay union dues whether you're a member of the union or not and it comes out by payroll deduction you actually don't even notice it very often coming out of your paycheck well Kermit Eady was involved in that and when this search warrant was was served it turned out that Black United Fund was among the organizations that was being spied on by the ADL so he, Freedom of Information Acted, the information from, uh, uh, you know, from out in California and received eight or 900 pages of documentation of their activities. Uh, among the things they were doing, and I, some of these I actually forgot to say on some of the shows I've been on this past week, among the things they were doing was selling the information that they had. They had people's motor vehicles records, people's uh, automobile registration uh, records. They had um, uh, even the blueprint of the office of uh, one uh, scholar. They had all kinds of uh, information like this, and they traded it to foreign governments, uh, uh, one of which was the Union of South Africa. Now, they found in the locker of this police officer who worked with them, when he sold a bunch of these records to the Unis South Africa, he received $16,000. He split it with this fact finder, Bullock. Bullock was on the payroll of the ADL for about $550 a week, which was more money back uh, in the early 90s. Not a whole lot of money, but more money than it is now. And you could see that he could also pick up a little money on the side. And so this guy, Gerard, they searched his locker. In his locker, they found 20 different types of identification cards, including IDs for being a member of the uh, Salvadoran police. You remember the death squads and things that went on in that war uh, down there. They also found... um, if you could imagine what these could be used for, blank death certificates. They also found people, uh, uh, pictures of people who were chained and apparently incarcerated in some kind of way with no identification. Like you don't know where they are. You don't know where these people are. Uh, they found all kinds of other things, some things that had to do with the Philippines. Uh, but basically, 
you found all of the things that you would find with a spy organization, that the ADL was essentially a domestic spy organization. They had all of these people, uh, some of them with, you know, with at least some tangential connections to, to crime. Uh, one of them was a, uh, a um, fact finder by the name of Myra Boland, who was out and uh, who worked in the, uh, the um, Washington Times. And so mysteries that may have eluded us in the past, how does the ADL uh, know every time a black person whispers something that they considers, uh, you know, the, every time a black person whispers the word Jewish or whispers the name Jew, uh, how does the ADL know about it? Well, they know about it because they are spying and they have connections with other people who are really equipped to spy like the FBI. And so if you get a, a secret FBI folder or dossier, you can, of course, know uh, what someone says in a meeting. And one of the things that happened was that a brother by the name of Steve Coakley, some of us are old enough to remember him, very great researcher, uh, very great analyst. Uh, he was working as a aide in the office of Mayor Sawyer, in uh, this uh, bef- um, in Chicago, and they presented statements he had made about Jewish doctors and AIDS and the black community, so on and so forth, at a Nation of Islam meeting. And, of course, he lost his job, and um, that might have been to the benefit of our community because he went on the road, and I'm telling you, he began to expose them like nobody's business. These are more editorials. When Jeffries was attacked, both Jewish people and black people and other people who knew the real deal did speak up on Jeffries' behalf, which is very different from right now with Kyrie and, uh, I mean, in terms of degree, uh, what's happening with Kyrie and what's happening with uh, Kanye. So it wasn't magic that somebody knew what Kyrie tweeted. Uh, it wasn't magic that this stuff appeared all over uh, the country. This is something from a guy named George Spitz, who's saying that the Anti-Defamation League, you know, has really committed crimes, uh, commits blood libel against blacks. Okay. This is Professor Clark. Every time you look around and see, you don't know who is a member of this thing and where it's coming from. But we do know that the ADL put out a pamphlet on what, no, excuse me, the, um, I have to see it. There's, there are a few of these organizations, the American Jewish Committee, the Anti-Defamation League of the uh, B'nai B'rith, and they're always monitoring what they call anti-Semitism. And so they talked about the anti-Semitic branch of uh, Afrocentricity or the Afrocentric mu- movement. And so Professor Clark, of course, debated Mary Lefkowitz, uh, the, I guess, probably the most well-known anti-Afrocentrist, and he told them, you know, this isn't really a debate. I debate my equals, all others I teach. And he did proceed to teach them at that so-called debate. When Jeffries was attacked, uh, he was out of the country. He was out of the country, but a defense had to be mounted for him. I'm so sorry that James couldn't stay with us because I keep saying this thing about James and I want to find out the answer to it myself. So basically some of the articles we ran uh, just were this person said this, that person said that. They were in support of Dr. Jeffries. And then eventually there came a point where, you know, you can't. Uh, keep writing articles with a minimal amount of content that even though you support a person, you've got to 
um, you've, you've, you've got to have a statement from the person. So I said, Hey, look, I need a statement from Dr. Jeffries. So I went to James and James said, okay, I'll call you back later with a statement from Dr. Jeffries. When he called back, he said, Dr. Jeffries said, I stand on truth. Now to this day, I don't know if James really called Dr. Jeffries or not, but it was enough of a statement. And that's the article on the left resulted as a result of that. So then I started thinking about, well, what do I wrote that article? Uh, I'm just going to say, so as a, I started to say, well, what would, what do they do when we accuse them of racism? Well, they go and they find some Negro to come and say, oh, no, 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 he's not a racist. She's not a racist. Uh, one time I was hungry and he gave me a chicken foot. He's a good man, uh, you know. So I said, let me, let me, let me see who I can get. I went, because I was the uh, president of a union, uh, I thought that some of the Jewish people in there might uh, lend some support. And as I say, I got cursed out all day asking people to uh, support Jeffries. They all, the ADL had whipped things into a frenzy to the point that um, uh, nobody was supporting. And before I say the ADL, I should say the, the, the press. Now, Fred Dicker, because he has occurred so often, <laughs> you know, in uh, stories with them, and I'll show you one a little bit later in a few minutes, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was a, it was an ADL type hit when we found out that they have these reporters all over, and uh, you see the way that they monitor what we say. Come back two weeks later about something somebody said at a meeting, you have to, uh, you know, you have to wonder. So I call this guy. I remember that when Professor Jeffries was on a panel with uh, uh, historian William Lauren Katz. William Lauren Katz wrote Black Indians. He wrote uh, the uh, Secret Empire. Uh, he wrote books about black people running uh, to the aid, um, uh, you know, running to fight overseas on behalf of, uh, of freedom, uh, not for the United States, but against people that were attacking an African country. Uh, he, you know, he wrote about all kinds of things, uh, uh, especially related to black history. And he was on a program with Professor Jeffries that was supporting the indigenous Americans. And I told you, he wrote a book called Black Indians. And so when he came in, or either Jeffries came in, Jeffries greeted him as Brother Cats. And so I thought to myself, this is probably a guy who would say something supportive. And boy, was I blessed. Because when I called him, uh, the article that he wrote just flowed. And as I've said, it's the first time other papers called me to get uh, the uh, article. I was a columnist with the Daily Challenge, so they always printed what I wrote. But the Amsterdam called me, and they called me to find out. And they that resulted in this headline that you see right here with, this is a better picture on the right, with Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, and Dr. Jeffries. And then over here, there's my little, that's the beginning of my little article in there, uh, talking about uh, this Russian Jewish scholar who pointed out that this fight over uh, Jeffries had nothing to do with anti-Semitism at all. And it actually had to do with the curriculum of inclusion, which Jeffries had fought for and uh, years before, along with other people, uh, such as uh, Dr. Adelaide Sanford and her uh, 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 protege, um, our protege was involved in it. Uh, I'm trying to remember her name. Diane, Diane Glover uh, wasn't on that exact committee, but she was, you know, in the environs of that and, and worked in that issue. And that this is what they were concerned with. See, because people have different fiefs or different little pieces of turf in New York. And education is clearly a turf in which Jewish people have a lot of uh, power. And, um, uh, you know, changes to the curriculum, changes to 
the vendors, who's going to provide the fruit cocktail, who's going to provide, you know, this has a real economic base, uh, a, a real economic um, aspect. So that what happens is, is that you're really arguing over real concrete things. You're arguing over land. Okay, things like color and things may come into it, but really what people are after is land. Very often they're after labor, as in the case of the slave trade, and then the mythology will either accompany it or follow it, in which you start to debase people and say that they're less than humans. And in New York, the anti-Semitism thing really didn't have anything to do with people hating uh, Jewish people because they're Jewish or because of their religion or whatever it is like that. No, uh, most black people uh, have a, a, a savior who they, they, you know, they, they list as a Jew. They have a, they, they worship from a book that uh, the first half of it is uh Jewish uh, history slash mythology, whatever you want to call it. You know, if you believe people were in whales and stuff like that, then I guess you'll call it, call it history. If you don't, you'll call it uh, mythology. Uh, uh, the others, the ones that, uh, that, that say they're political or whatever it is, they have a, you know, they have, uh, J- Jewish, uh, saviors also. I'm not going to say the names of these people, but, you know, uh, so they're not, the point, my point is just that they're not anti, uh, people because of their religion. Black people in general are not anti people because of their religion, but yet you find these articles and stuff coming out. Well, it's because that is a convenient way to back people off. You back them off either with fear or you back them off with guilt uh, as though they're doing something wrong and you get uh, public opinion against them and it hampers people's abilities to do things. When Adelaide Sanford had served for so many years, had taken a school from the lowest performing in the district to the highest performing in the state, she had become the vice chancellor of the New York State Board of Regents. And at the point that she's about to become the chancellor of the Board of Regents, as every vice chancellor had become in the previous 40 years, you find that these same newspapers publish an article uh, using the technology that they were using over in uh, Iraq, uh, the technology of where you, you, it's like a Photoshop type thing. They call it a photo essay or something like that. They had a picture of her, like she slouched around, and I believe there was a banner behind her that said uh, Ebonics, and then they said that she believed in teaching Ebonics, which is, of course, absurd because you don't have to teach Ebonics. All Dr. Sanford had ever said was that you should respect people's languages, whatever they are. If they're coming from uh, Haiti and they speak French, if they're, uh, they speak Patois, if they're coming from you know, if and if they're African coming from a, 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 a isolated community that, uh, you know, did all the way from the days of slavery, uh, have certain uh, retentions from African languages, the ways, the, 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 the grammar and that sort of stuff, uh, the pronunciation and that sort of stuff, respect that language. And then she obviously didn't believe in teaching them Ebonics because they were scored the highest in the state, the highest urban uh, school in the state. By the way, it's the elementary school I went to. I mean, uh, so, uh, but Obviously, she wasn't teaching the children Ebonics, but she was respecting their Ebonics so that she could teach them. And she taught them the math that they needed to know. She taught them the English that they needed to know so much so that they performed. uh, They were the highest performing urban school in the state, despite 
having a feeder population of the Brevoort housing projects, which is where I lived. And we went there and many of us were unprepared, but Dr. Sanford was the person who brought that school to the point of where it produced lots of doctors, lots of uh, scholars, lots of teachers, and that sort of thing. And yet, when it came time for her to become the chancellor, you get these kinds of articles coming out that slander her all at once. As I said before, sometimes we didn't know how this stuff was occurring, but it's not by magic. And then they also will do it, they'll make it come out of a black person's mouth. You know, it's their paper. They give the guidance. They say what to go and report on. They give them the slant. And then these things come out and they damage you over real turf, over land, over labor, over authority. Those are the things that are really the underlying issues to a lot of this stuff. They were so angry at that article in which William Lauren Katz spoke till they wrote this article. This is, uh, they wrote an article. This is, Zamga is telling us about it. He didn't write the article. Zamga's on our side. He wrote an article to show that Fred Dicker, the same person who slandered Jeffries, had called the publisher of the paper, Wilbur Tatum, and told him that I wasn't a doctor and that uh, William Lauren Katz was not the scholar in residence at NYU. The way they did it was, you know, in order to avoid, I guess, getting sued for libel, they said, we called NYU, and no, they didn't know who he was. Well, what does that mean? I could call the White House, and if I got somebody uh, dumb enough, they might not know who, who um, Biden is. But that doesn't mean that Biden's not the president of the United States, and it didn't mean that um, William Lauren Katz wasn't, a scholar in residence at NYU. I initially was alarmed because um, the editor of the paper called me and was telling me what Dicker had said. And I was trying to defend and he told me, James, James, don't worry. No, 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 no. This guy is everything you said he is. In fact, he's even more. Uh, Because of a typo, what I had written, uh, it had gone into the paper that he had uh, written a hundred. Uh, he had edited 137 books, and in actuality, it was like 237. So uh, this is a extent, and this is a type of work that they do. They do this smear work. They do this slander work. They do this intimidation work. They do this spying work. That's who they really are. When Jeffries, this attack on him occurred, he was out of the country. And he had to come back. And by the time Tatum sent editorials, our articles, so on and so forth, the community was mobilized from this air attack, these articles, to come to the airport to welcome Dr. Jeffries uh, back. Also, he was connected with lots of people like Professor Clark and others who were connected to other activists and that sort of thing. And so over a thousand people uh, jammed two floors of Kennedy's International Airport And that was black people and that was other people that supported it. All of a sudden into the group, I said 13, I was wrong, with 17 uh, Jewish Defense League protesters stormed into the lower level. Literally, they could have been crushed and wiped out in a couple of seconds by the number of people that were there. The hangar was moving when we moved. And they held up a a dummy of uh, uh, with multicolored rags on his head trying to imitate Kenty cloth, uh, a dummy that was supposed to be Dr. Um, Dr. Jeffries. 
They use the term hang, uh, hanging in effigy. I talked about it in this article as being lynched uh, in effigy. And the title of my article was Violence Averted at, um, at Jeffrey's Welcome at the airport. So what happened is, is that literally Professor Smalls and some other people had to stop the people from beating them up because the people could have beaten them up, you know, very easily could have resulted in a loss of life or something like that. But then the story would not have been Jeffrey's triumphant return, which is what we wanted the story to be and which we were able to report in this article. But the story would have been that these uh, protesters were attacked, the Jews were attacked at the uh, airport. The bottom line is, is they still distorted the story. They didn't report that there were a thousand people there to welcome Jeffries. They reported that the ADL had protested against them. Now, at a certain point, this I'll, I'm going to end up uh, in just a couple of seconds. This struggle with this community and with this organization it has taken place on a number of fronts a number of different times. In the battle for charities that I told you about with Kermit Eady, uh, they, um, they in, 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 in the battle for these charities, you saw the Black United Fund, Hale House, another charity in uh, Albany, all kind of mowed over in quick succession. The person who was doing it in New York was the uh, then attorney general, a guy by the name of, uh, of Elliot Spitzer, who uh, fortunately we were able to expose in a number of different ways. We put the, the, the lights on him and showed the kinds of uh, dealings that he was uh, involved in. And ultimately, uh, he got exposed not for these political and economic things he was doing, but for uh, uh, prostituting, uh, you know, for, for uh, taking a, a young prostitute across uh, state lines into um, uh, another state. He got caught by the FBI uh, doing that. But with black, when you have a black scandal, they uncover everything that the person ever did. They go back and find every woman you ever spoke to. With Bill Cosby, they went back 50, 60 years, you know, to get people to say things about him. But with Spitzer, died with one prostitute. One prostitute, that's it. Now, if this guy is the governor of the state and can't control his appetites so much that he would go sneak around with a 20-year-old girl in another state, Clearly, she's not the first one, right? Clearly, she's not the only one. Well, ultimately, later, one more prostitute popped up, but she didn't pop up because the press uncovered it. She popped up because she was extorting uh, uh, Spitzer. She had extracted $400,000 worth of payments from him to not tell what he was doing and ended up with, they sent her to jail. They sent the second prostitute. The first prostitute made him lose office the second prostitute that we know of resulted in him having to pay her $400,000, resulted in her going to jail. And uh, that was really pretty much the end of his political career. The next time we dealt with them is we had a thing called the Postbusters campaign, and we bankrupted the Post. That's just to do it in, in summary. CMOTAP bankrupted the Post. I have the article here that I will show you that documents that we bankrupted them. And then Wilbur Tatum from the... Amsterdam was able to put in the highest bid. Him and a guy named Hirschfield was able to put in the highest bid to buy the paper. It was owned by a guy named Peter Calico. It had been lost by uh, whoever you are. Please mute yourself. 
Okay. Excuse me as I mute these people. So I'm going to tell you about this edition of the Post. This is called the teardrop issue of the Post. When Tatum and Hirschfield bought the Post, the workers rebelled. They seized the paper. This is how racist they are. They seized the paper. And I actually tried to purchase an edition of the this of this paper. I had edition and I had to per, try to purchase another one and they didn't deliver it on time. But I was able to research and find a few pages to let you see what the paper was like. Every, this they put Alexander Hamilton who's ordinarily on the logo of the New York Post, same post that Dicker writes from, and they put a teardrop on his issue. It's called the teardrop issue of the New York Post. And I only have two pages that represent what they did. This is like two parts of two pages, but I want to tell you that for the next 20 plus pages, they, every article, you know, every article on this is about Wilbur Tatum and Hirschfield calling them names. They call in Tatum an anti-Semite and Hirschfield, uh, uh, a nutcase, and they do that on every page. There's Fred Dicker right there on the bottom, uh, in the middle right on the se- on the second page that you see there. I, w- I would like to have had a bunch of these pages to show you. That's the order. That shows you I ordered it. It was supposed to be uh, delivered by the 22nd. Uh, this is uh, the book on the, about the anti-Semitic branch of the Afrocentrism movement was by a guy named Ken Stern, and it's the American Jewish Community, uh, Jewish Committee. This report on anti-Semitism of black demagogues, it called everybody anti-Semitic, including newspapers such as the uh, Big Red, the Daily Challenge, and the Amsterdam News. It called every leader you can think of in New York, they called uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, Sonny Carson, every, everybody. You can get this right on Google. Just go on Google and you can find it and you can see for yourself. This is an article called Black Pseudo-Scholars, Black Demagogues and Pseudo-Scholars. That's a different one. That's not the booklet. Needless to say, you should read this dissenting view of John Henry Clark. Again, you can Google it. And you talk about taking uh, Henry Louis Gates, who wrote that article, apart, and taking uh, the other one, um, Corn, uh, Corny, Cornell West, uh, Professor Clark just basically stripped him naked to the world. This right here is the the Amsterdam editorial, uh, where Tatum va- validates that we reduced the post circulation by two hundred thousand. They got to the point of where they were, they were. Falsifying their their their, statistics, their their statistics, their circulation statistics. This is just showing you other people they went after. They went after um, Marlon Brando, biggest actor, arguably the biggest actor in Hollywood. You know, The Godfather, On the Waterfront, just uh, so many movies and so many, and you know, a whole school of acting. You know, uh, basically based on the way that Brando did things, and. He made a statement that Hollywood is run by Jews. He said it's owned by Jews and they should have a greater sensitivity about the issue of people uh, who are suffering. He was talking about black people. He was talking about, you know, oppressed people. And they came down on him with both feet. Came down on him so bad that they called him into one of those meetings with the ADL. 
Uh, and he, well, or I shouldn't say the ADL. They called him into one of those meetings with a bunch of rabbis and other people. I don't know if the ADL was represented or not. Anyway, they terrorized him. Either he was being strategic and doing something to show the ridiculousness of the situation. I don't know. Brando was a terrific actor. But they say he cried uncontrollably. And he cried uncontrollably. And when they finished, you know, most of them are saying, no, this guy is not an anti-Semite, you know. Uh, the funny thing about it is the number one bestseller book that had been out just before that was Neil Gabler's uh, How the Jews Invented Hollywood, an Empire of Their Own. He wasn't saying anything more, really, than they had said themselves. But they can do that. Uh, this is an article. Anytime there, I, I, a lot of the articles I had were mine. This is one by Betty Dobson where she's uh, jumping on uh, Gates, uh, and she called him the new Tarzan. You'd have to read it anytime. Betty Betty Dobson, who's a co-chair of CMOTAP and the founder of CMOTAP, the reason uh, she would always write under the name Liz Hinda. So if you do your research, you can find a lot of her articles like that. Um, this is now the iron, ironic thing is. I don't blame them for not wanting to own up to Hollywood because Hollywood, as Professor Jeffrey said in that speech, has done a job of devastation on our people, both with the images and with sending these images around the world where people come from foreign countries. And one of the first words they know, you know, is the N word and they know all about us, they think as to who we are and who we, you know, how worthless we are. And that's done through movies. These movies, nobody will bother you for tweeting. It's a wonderful life. But in It's a Wonderful Life, a sexual assault of a black woman takes place. A sexual assault, you know, that young teenagers are, are arrested when this happens. So most people say, I saw... Uh, uh, it's a wonderful life. There's no sexual assault. So you know what I do? I like pictures. I'm going to show it to you. And what I did was, is I took the sound off so you won't be distracted. You'll see the, the subtitles. I, you know, I have the, the captions and, but this is, this was the real dialogue, but this is the real movie there. You can see Jimmy Stewart right there. Let's watch what happens. These are supposed to be when they graduated from high school, a bunch of these boys. You saw that, right? Okay. So, you know, these are the kinds of movies they've made. Obviously, this is one of the milder ones, uh, even though it did feature a sexual assault of a black woman. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, I had some other films. <laughs> I'm always saying this. I had some other films. I wanted to show you uh, Shirley Temple and Bojangles, but I guess I probably talked so long that it's time for me to stop anyway. But all of these kinds of images that they had, all of the blackface images, all of the Eddie Cantor, all of the... Um, uh, all of the uh, Al Jolson, all that stuff devastated us. Nobody's called, uh, said, written any books about Jews and uh, anti-blackism. They wrote a book called The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews. And, I mean, uh, these people cried like uh, uh, babies saying that this stuff was uh, was, 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 was anti-Semitic. So um, let me stop the share. I don't want any share. I want to stop the share. How do I stop the share? Let's see. Stop share. There it is. Okay. So um, 
We've gone through, uh, if, if um, Amadi, I'm going to call her in first if she uh, would like to be a, a speaker. This is, everybody can speak at this particular point. We're going to call in people. It's Dr. I'm going to ask you to please mute yourself. We're not going to all speak at once. If you can use the hand, oops, excuse me, Dr. Uh, Amadi, I muted you by mistake. Okay. Uh, but everybody else, mute yourself. Amadi Ajamu, if you would like to speak, uh, you have the floor. Okay, I'll count to three or four. Okay, uh, Brother Tashaka, Brother Shaka Tonge, please uh, speak up. You have the floor. But uh, you got to unmute yourself, Brother Shaka. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. How you doing, James? Long hey, time. Yeah, that's right. Good to see you, Long brother. Long time, all the way from college days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. I just have two quick comments. First, I think we need to stop using this word anti-Semitic because that is what the Zionists, which is the political movement, brought up uh, to use to to blanket uh, anti-Jewishness now because Arabs are Semitic, let's face it. So that's one thing I want to say. And then the second thing, it's about Mr. Kanye West. Um, For me... Kanye West is disloyal to black folks generally anyhow. And I think we should stop pointing to the Jews of what they did for their own people. And a man who claimed to be a billionaire, he could have started his own record label and started to invest in the black community. That's why I I really don't support uh, uh, trying to support him and, and, and blanket him because he could do the same thing that they're doing. And then I'll just rest my case for any comments. Okay. Brother Shaka, uh, you weren't here probably at the beginning. The first uh, video I showed was, uh, was, was Condis Owens coming to defense of, uh, of, of Kyrie Irwin. And, I did that. and what she pointed out was, and I thought this was, this was something that I thought was brilliant. She pointed out that, Kanye's definition was the Oxford Dictionary's definition. So you're right that Semitic is should not be limited or, and should not be used to just describe uh, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi Jews, but it includes a whole lot of other people, just as you pointed out. So agree with you on that. With respect to the second one, I have to tell you, you have to be careful with that strategy. I think that that's something that... Uh, causes us to shoot ourselves in the foot. Now, we can agree that most of us think that, uh, that, that Clarence Thomas is anti-black, right? But if that was Clarence Thomas laying on the ground with the cop with his knee, like with George Floyd and the cop with his knee on his neck, and uh, people are telling him, look, the man's not breathing, stop, da 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 and that man dies, uh, I'm going to protest even though it was Clarence Thomas because... Uh, that cop doesn't know who it is. The thing that he sees about that person is that person is black. And what they see is not, is not Kanye. A lot of people say Kanye got this kind of character flaw and that kind of character flaw. Uh, he's an uh, opportunist. He's this, but that's not why they're going after him. They don't care that Kanye is an opportunist. They don't care that he says things that you, brother, uh, Shocker Fields are against us. They are going after him because he is exposing uh, some things in terms of the business aspect of it. I saw a thing where he took a picture 
and showed it to them of all of the executives at all the top media companies and everything he had put in red was a Jewish executive. So they want to say that, no, they don't control the media. And he's trying to say, yes, you do. And of course, he has his reasons for doing it. That's not my concern. My concern is not what's wrong with him. My concern with what's right with him at this particular point that's causing him to come come under attack because they don't care what's wrong with you when they when they attack you they care what's right with you a lot of the people that uh we have to defend are people that were committing crimes but that doesn't give them the right to uh kill that person that doesn't give them the right to brutalize that person that doesn't give them the right to break that person's door down and go into their house and do an illegal search and so that's the category i put um uh, Kanye, and I'm not saying anything for him or against him. I'm just saying that, believe this, they're not attacking him because of the things you're pointing out. They're attacking him because it's counter to their interests. Therefore, it's probably in our interests. But uh, you can have the last word, Brother Shaka, and then I'm going to move Okay. <laughs> I, I hear exactly what you're saying, but I'd like to see these brothers. I think it's akin to what Elijah Muhammad and even Marcus Garvey taught us, is that you don't have to compete with folks when you can do things yourself. You don't have to point out their flaws when you're not doing it for your own folks. And that's my thing with Kanye. You're a billionaire, invest in your people. And then you can cut the conversation, because I think it's kind of common knowledge who runs Hollywood in the music industry. I think it's kind of common knowledge. I mean, and, and they did that for their people, so instead of you talking about them, then do something for your people. That's my point with Mr. Kanye West. Put your money where your mouth is, because we don't need to keep uh, uh, pointing at folks and we're not doing it for ourselves. I'm, and, I'm, uh, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that, Brother Shaka, because today uh, you reminded me of something. It have nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but uh, there's two, two articles showing Kyrie's contributions. Today he gave, it looks like he gave, uh, I don't want to say the amount, but it was a large amount of money that he gave to a Muslim school. Uh, I believe it's in Harlem here. It's in New York. And uh, something else he gave to another sister down uh, uh, down down south somewhere. If Nayaba Arende is still on with us, she'll be able to tell us. I see Brother Basia and Chawi, Brother Basia. Uh, oh, yeah, Brother Basia, I didn't do... <laughs> I didn't do the thing I was going to do. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what it is, though. Just for the heck of it, because the people were trying to say they had no role in slavery. I said, well, you know, that's the old slavery. How about modern slavery? Do they have anything to do? And I just tell you, go ahead and do the research. And I don't, I'm not saying that Jews are in charge of the prison industrial complex, but I'll say that if you start looking, you know, they're well-placed pretty much in every part of the society. I believe the uh, probably the uh, director of prisons at this particular point uh, might be a person uh, of that ancestry. I won't go on. I wouldn't go to bat with it because I don't want to uh, do commit libel or slander or anything. But brother, brother Basim Chawi, longtime activist in the community. What's your comment? Uh, well, brother, I just want to raise uh, the name of uh, my mentor and comrade, uh, and I, I think it's necessary at this time, and that's Brother G2 Ayusi. Uh, Brother G2 was never able to go ahead and get what he rightfully deserved as being the educator that he was. Uh, he was one of the best educators as far as our people who ever lived. And he was unable to go ahead and get 
the kind of recognition he deserved because of something that happened in 1968. And I just want to go ahead and, and talk about that very briefly. Back in 1968, uh, there was the struggle in Ocean Hill, Brownsville, the struggle for community control. And uh, Brother G2 went on WBAI, the radio program where I, at this particular point, uh, for the last 26 years, have had a radio program. And prior to that, have done a number of things on WBAI. He went on the program of Julius Lester, Brother Julius Lester. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Julius Lester was a SNCC organizer who became an author. Uh, he's written, uh, he wrote a number of books that were uh, critically important. He wrote a book called To Be a Slave. He wrote a book called Black Folk Tales. Black Folk Tales, uh, an amazing book that uh, I, I used with my children some years ago. As a matter of fact, uh, we took High John the Conqueror, one of the stories in the book, and we made a dramatic presentation uh, for my children to go ahead and perform and record, which they did many, many years ago. Anyway, uh, G2 was on the program, and he had a poem with him from a sister who was named Sia Beerhan. Sia at that time was a junior high school student who was in the Ocean Hill-Brownsville district, okay? Uh, at this particular point, 68, uh, there was the strike there was uh, clearly a, a lot of, uh, um, I guess we would have to say, conflict between the black community and the UFT, the United Federation of Teachers. The United Federation of Teachers was an organization at that time, 1968, of mainly Jewish teachers because Jews saw that the education system was one of the particular areas where they could actually go ahead and uh, get a leg up, so to speak, in regards to going ahead and becoming a teacher. And there were many people who went ahead and did that. He said, hold on one second. I got to close my door here. What? Much noise coming in. Anyway. To make a long story short before I talk too long in regards to this story. Sia had written this poem. And one of the lines in the poem, which many of us remember, Sia is still alive. She lives in the Atlanta area currently. Uh, one of the lines was, hey, Jew boy, with that yarmulke on your head. Hey, Jew boy, I wish you were dead. And she went on. And for a junior high school student, it was difficult to believe that she could be so articulate and clear in regards to the contradictions that had been created by the UFT and uh, the Jewish teachers who at that particular point were very clearly running the educational system in New York. Now, G2 had this poem and he shared it with Julius Lester and Julius said, well, brother, you need to read this poem. And G2 said, wait a second, are you crazy? I'm not reading this poem because, uh, you know, I know what's going to happen. And Julius said, no, you've got to read the poem. So G2 read the poem on WBAI. And uh, you can imagine, you know, in terms of Kyrie and Kanye, the reaction was the same. Now, many people believed that it was G2 who had written the poem. But, of course, as I said, it was not. 
It was Sister Sia. Now, subsequently, G2 was branded an anti-Semite, and it really, for the rest of his life, it's something that followed him. Uh, I'll give you three examples in regards to where it followed him. Uh, Number one, he was uh, very, very active in the campaign to get David Dinkins elected. He worked with David Dinkins, and he worked with Bill Lynch. And at the end of the campaign, when David Dinkins had been successful, G2 expected that he would go ahead and get a position. All right, Bill Lynch and David Dinkins, when confronted by the Jewish community, went ahead and cut G2 loose. He said, no, G2, you can't get anything because of this uh, shadow in terms of anti-Semitism, which, you know, is over your head. Uh, Next, even in regards to uh, we were able to go ahead and get a plaza on Fulton Street, co-named for G2. But this was a struggle that took probably about, oh, my God, five to seven years. And it took so long because the Jewish community, whenever we said we needed a co-naming of a street for G2, it was, well, no, he's anti-Semitic. We confronted the Jewish uh, city council people. We went ahead, we presented them with the, uh, the real history in regards to G2, but still. They went ahead and they would not let go in terms of, you know, when uh, the organizations like the Jewish Defense League talk about never forget. If, in fact, you're branded as anti-Semitic, the Jewish community will never forget and they will use whatever it is that they have uh, in their power to go ahead and do whatever it is that they have to do. Ironically, Julius Lester, who had done the program, while he may have been, you know, at one particular point called anti-Semitic, by 1982, Julius Lester had become a Jewish scholar. He actually went ahead. He was working at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. And uh, in the 1980s and beyond, up until his death, he taught as a Jewish scholar. He converted to, to Judaism, and he became a Jewish scholar, quite quite uh, amazingly so, all right? And I think that's one of the ways that uh, Julius went ahead and ultimately ducked being called an anti-Semitic person. If, in fact, he was a Jewish scholar, it was going to be very difficult for folks to go ahead and connect him to anti-Semitism. Uh, my story, very, very briefly. And, of course, there are, there are other stories that I can tell in regards to this weapon, which is used specifically against our community. It's not used against white supremacists. You don't hear uh, the ADL going ahead and publicly going ahead and talk, talking about the head of the Proud Boys as anti-Semitic. But you will go ahead and there will be folks that look like us in our community and they will be labeled as anti-Semitic or haters because it is, in fact, our community. And this is a strategy that the Jewish community has used for years. They will continue to use until we are able to go ahead and organize and protect our people when we can. Kanye is uh, a horse of another color. Uh, I think he's got serious issues. I think he needs to take his meds. 
I think he also needs some other kinds of help. Uh, just recently, he went to dinner with Donald Trump, with Nick Fuentes, who is a racist white supremacist. Uh, so, you know, I don't defend Kanye in any kind of way, shape, or form. And I think that one of the issues in terms of Kyrie, as I had said to you, uh, Dr. Mack, that his timing was bad. Because if, in fact, uh, this particular situation with Kanye was not going on and uh, Kyrie Irving had gone ahead and tweeted this particular film and its title, I don't think the response would have been the same as uh, it actually was. But uh, very clearly at this particular point, the Jewish community and especially the ADL has gone ahead and said that our community needs to be looked at that we need to go ahead. And as you said, we're investigated. We are uh, in so many different kinds of ways. Uh, another quick story, WBAI. I was suspended at WBAI one time. I was suspended when I had on my program, on Education at the Crossroads, I had Brother Ralph Pointer. Ralph Pointer went on, and we were talking about education, and at the time he said, uh, well, the Jewish community is in charge of education. And he went on about that. And I said, well, Brother Ralph, hold on a second. And I told him, I said, listen, Rudolph Giuliani, who is Italian, is the mayor of New York City. Okay. I went on. Uh, at the time, I believe uh, Ramon Cortinez was a Latino, was the chancellor. I can't remember. Chancellor of the New York City public school system. I then went on to talk about whoever was in charge at the time in terms of the city university in New York. And I said, I said, listen, brother, you know, while, you know, we understand that Jewish people have been involved in the educational system at this particular point, they're not in charge. An article appeared in the local newspaper, the Jewish forward. Uh, They went ahead and uh, went on a campaign. Uh, It came to the attention of the WBAI general manager, uh, I was called into the office one day, and they said, well, the Jewish forward in the Jewish community is making a big issue about this. And I said, well, very clearly, you know, if you go to the tape, you can hear that it's Ralph Pointer, it's not me, and that I went ahead and essentially corrected Ralph in regards to what he was saying. They said, well, we've got to do something. You're suspended for a week. Okay, and I was suspended. <laughs> this was some years ago. Uh, just some things in regards to the Jewish community and uh, their campaign to go ahead and essentially keep us, uh, let us say, out of balance. Because if they continue attacking us, we, in terms of our balance, we probably won't be in the kind of balance that we need to be. Thank you so much, Brother Basim Chowie. Appreciate it. I got a, a message. Um, for, I'm on uh, play, uh, pl- Okay, okay just one second. Okay, Sister Mari, just one second. Just give me a second. I got a message here from Sister Angela Hope Wayusi, who uh, said, Brother Basia, that actually they didn't cut him, G2 loose. He knew what would follow and did not want to hurt the Dinkins campaign, so he voluntarily stepped off and continued to work without the pay or acknowledgement, uh, you know, I guess that was due to him. So that's just a message from her. Now, Sister Amadia Jam- Jamu, uh, welcome. Uh, you have the mic. Um, make sure to unmute yourself. Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you, um, Dr. James. Um, yeah, w- well, you know, I'm with the December 12th movement, and 
um, one of our founders, Sonny Carson, said a long time ago in the 60s uh, when it was dealing around education in in New York, um, and especially in the Ocean Hill-Brownsville struggle with um, education, and they they attempted to make him an anti anti-semitist person and he said you know i don't know uh who's who you're all white to me you know what i mean and and it's like uh and most like you were saying earlier most white people most black people just look at all of them like they're just white and then suddenly but but the jewish people make a a, a real um uh effort to come at us around anti Semitism when even what happened to them in their Holocaust didn't have anything to do with us. You know, so it's very interesting how that works. And that's a form of white supremacy too, as saying that, okay, they they did all that to us, but you know, we're better than you. You know what I mean? Something like that. You know, that's that's the way I see it around that. But I do think that um, Kyrie's presentation around um, just putting a link to this documentary around to this movie or documentary that he wasn't taking any kind of position. It was an educational, informational thing. He didn't make any comment. He just put a link on, uh, which is different from what Kanye was doing because he was basically collaborating with them, you know, for like years until he became a so-called billionaire. You know what I mean? I mean, he may be a billionaire or was attempting to be one, but now they're his adversaries because he wanted to exert some some uh, uh, um, kind of control over it, but he was already in bed with them. And he's also with MAGA, you know, the um, MAGA people and a Trump supporter. And it's just like um, opportunistically dealing with uh, white supremacist leanings so he can get some influence there. He calls himself an influencer, you know, and that's where his leverage was. They said uh, influencer is not leverage, and that's where he got caught up in because he really didn't have the support of black people during that time that he was um, flirting with Trump, you know, so... That was his downfall even before all that happened. So that's that's what I wanted to say. Okay. Thank you, uh, Sister Mati. Um, Dr. Matthews, can I share something real quick? Sure, Brother Quabbin. But uh, I have two people with their hands raised. But go ahead, Brother Quabbin. You're on the panel. Yeah, I do know when uh, the brother mentioned about the meds and the issues that uh, Kanye or Ye is dealing with. There was a person he mentioned named Harley Pasternak who does training for so many uh, stars, or I guess there's a lot of them. So I think we should look him up, Harley Pasternak. He showed a, a text that he got from this dude uh, 
threatening him to get put him back on meds or he should get back on his meds or he's going to send him away to zombie mind land or something like that. But Harley Pasternak is his name. We should check that out. But also I want to say, I think that Kyrie's timing was, was perfect. I think it was perfect for him to just sit that, 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 uh, the, the post out. I mean, the retweet or whatever out, because again, just like with Kanye is raising these contradictions. So we are talking about this now, sharing his history, understanding what it is, pointing out the hypocrisy of the NBA, the National Basketball Association, again, who supposedly doesn't want the hate and all that, but at the same time, you're spreading hate and pushing hate constantly. You've been doing it for a while on African people. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, Can everybody see the screen? Can, Can you see a screen that has some writing and stuff? No? Yes. Okay, thank you. This uh, this is the pamphlet, the ADL Research Report, The Anti-Semitism of Black Demagogues and Extremists. Now, remember, they said that the secret relationship between blacks and Jews was bad because it only pointed out things that Jews had done. But yet they put out a couple of these kinds of booklets, uh, and in it, You'll find the attack on G2UC that was uh, spoken about a few minutes ago by, uh, you find the attack on Sonny Carson. Uh, in fact, they named just about every black paper in New York. Uh, Grand Clegg, who is a Simotap leader in Simotap West on the West Coast, uh, Ice Cube, Amiri Baraka, Professor Griff, Kwame Toure, Lenore Falani, they have Al Sharpton in there, uh, Leonard Jeffries, uh, Gus Savage, Steve Coakley, Minister Farrakhan. Really, just about every leader you could think about is either there or in the text of this uh, book. All you have to do is just go to Google and just put in there um, the anti-Semitism of black demagogues and extremists, and you can get that book and, and, and look through it and see this. Because it's not the Jewish community that you that, that in general – your fight is with is with these zealots and these opportunists uh, called the ADL that position themselves as a civil rights group that really is a spy group and a um, and and a uh, surveillance group, a surveillance group and a spy group and a media uh, control group, according to the uh, the investigation that was done back uh, in 91 on them. See, when you keep that in mind, you understand that it could, because a lot of times you th- you're not really fighting, you know, it could seem like you're fighting the entire Jewish community, but it's really these zealots right here that are, that are, uh, that have specific aims and have chosen the black community because they see weakness there. And that weakness allows them to, move out an educator, as Brother uh, Basir pointed out, like g 2 uc to uh, even stop a street naming for somebody like uh, uh, Sonny Carson. Uh, you know, it keeps, uh, it robs our children of their heroes. It robs our systems of the skilled people. Uh, they stopped, uh, essentially, it's the same uh, group of people, the same type of people that stopped Adelaide Sanford from becoming the chancellor of the New York State Board of Regents, and she should have been the chancellor of the New, of the, uh, New York City education system. I'm going to call on my brother Kwahir a few minutes uh, from now from the uh, 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 UNIA ACL, and, uh, but before that, I just wanted to remind people that CMOTAP tried to do some of the things that ADL did. 
But the difference is that even back then, the ADL was dealing with a $30 million budget. With a $30 million budget, you can hire a lot of people to work at a lot of newspapers, a lot of people to go into meetings and see what's going on. And we're not asking you for $30 million, uh, although that would be nice if anybody wanted to give it to us. But what I would say is, is we have over, right now, we still have over, we have 112 people in the meeting. If everybody will donate something to CMOTAP, that'll allow us to continue our work. All you have to do is go in the chat. I posted uh, two ways that you can give. You can give by mailing to CMOTAP at 13505 South Ozone Park, uh, Republic, 13505 Rockaway Boulevard, South Ozone Park, New York, 11420. Or you can go right now and just send something on Cash App. Just go to dollar, uh, dollar sign Dr. Simotap, dollar sign D-R-C-E-M-O-T-A-P. Donate what you can. We don't want your children's tuition money. We don't want your rent money. We don't want your food money. We do want every cent of your cigarette money. We want every cent of your weed money. We want every cent of your alcohol money. We want every cent of that money that you're using to harm yourself. Instead, help yourself by donating Simotap. Uh, Brother Kwahia is um, one of the uh, assistant president generals of the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. Brother Kwahia, you have the floor. Uh, greetings, uh, Dr. McIntosh, and it's always a pleasure to hear uh, whatever you have on your platform. Uh, I like to uh, listen because uh, it's not something that um, you hear from the other like uh, broadcast stations that's basically fake or somebody's uh, encouraging or paying them to say or do. Uh, your presentations are very informative and truth to my opinion. Uh, I'd like to just make a comment from what I've heard and everyone else saying, and uh, it's just my two cents. Basically, we keep forgetting that the Jewish people are Caucasians. They're not different from any other Caucasian. They're Caucasians, and from what I was taught, that they were they evolved because they were taught by Musa thousands of years ago, so they're a little bit more evolved, but they're Caucasians. And number two, I don't think it really has anything to do with Kyrie or Kanye, because uh, Shaquille O'Neal, nobody's talking about him, and he put the movie out. So basically, the Jews, are, the so-called Jews, are protecting their interests and who they feel is protecting or saying what they want them to say. And number two is, to keep it simple, what is it about whenever something comes up, they're calling it anti-Semitic? To me, it appears that they're hiding something. Could it be that they're hiding the fact that maybe they are in control of uh, the educational system and everything? And maybe they're the main ones oppressing black people coming out with the flower in one hand and the knife, the dagger behind the other hand. Could it be that they're the main ones causing us uh, the, the hardships that we're going through? Could it be that one of the ones participating in the slave sh- uh, trade? Could it be they funded the slave trade? Could it be that they're the main ones oppressing us? Thank you for your uh, time. Submit it. Hello? We're here. We hear you. Were you able to hear? Yes, yes, yes. We heard everything you said, Brother Kwahi. In fact, I was saying thank you to you 
for uh, the questions that you raised, and I said that the questions you raised, everyone here should have answers to it. And if you don't have the answers, you should get them. You can get them. You can read that book, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews. You can read Neil Gabler's book, uh, How the Jews Invented Hollywood, an Empire of Their Own. You can get it by actually uh, looking at the... I see Brother Ray Ray's in the house. Thank you, Brother Ray Ray. Uh, don't forget to uh, go to the Mackey, uh, William Mackey Jr. History Club. Uh, Mike Grace is going to be the speaker there this Wednesday. Uh, that's another place where you can get some information from. And uh, Brother Ray Ray, you can put the stuff in our chat if you want to, where the meeting is, whatever you would like to reveal. But what I was saying is, is the questions that Brother Quahir raised, everybody should get an answer for. Uh, uh, themselves, and you can get it. It's, like I said, it's public information. Uh, next brother, Mark McPhee, has his hands uh, written, uh, has his has his hand, hands raised. Excuse me, brother, brother Mark McPhee. Okay, brother Mark McPhee, you got to unmute yourself. They uh, no, you got to unmute yourself, and then you can speak. If not, I see my sister, Sister Danette Chavis. Uh, sister Jeanette, Danette Chavis, you have the floor. Uh, your ha- Hi. Hi. Welcome. Yes. Uh, first of all, I appreciate all the information that you shared on the ADL. It was quite enlightening. I hope everybody received it uh, the way that I did. I learned a lot. And to be quite honest with you, it's quite alarming, if not frightening, to know that there can be an entity that exists that can spy on black people, accuse black people, and have people's livelihood uh, destroyed, and little to nothing that we can do about it except stand and watch the show be displayed in media. I think it should give great cause for alarm for all of us, because... uh, if that's the kind of power that they, they wield against us just by simply claiming they feel offended or something we said or did, like post a link, can be perceived as offending them, then we actually don't have the right and the liberty to say and do anything concerning ourselves because anything that we do or say concerning ourselves, they can accuse us of being anti-Semitic. That's another thing. What is anti-Semitic. I once understood anti to be half of something. Now I learned that anti uh, defines several other nations besides the Jewish people themselves. So they seem to be saying that you we... Mean semi, did you mean semi, Sister Danette? Yes. Okay. You said anti by mistake. You meant semi. Okay. semi. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. yes. What the, the, the Jews seem to be saying that we and we alone are those people, and we and we alone are the only people who bear right and claim uh, to whatever those people are. And so the fear to me seems to be that when individuals post links or display uh, highlighted and read information that conveys that the Jews run and control nearly all of the operations here in the United States, they are offended. They are in fear because maybe the reality of who those people truly are will be exposed. And what if black people find out that you are not who you thought you were? You are these other people. You have rights. You have been manipulated. You've been sold into slavery. And every single word you try to do concerning yourself will be stopped, blocked, and your livelihood will be taken away. I think there's so many levels of this 
that needs to be looked into, particularly concerning the right to express yourself, what you have to say concerning yourself without somebody else coming along and say, I feel offended. Okay, in the court of law, in this land, if you're accused of a crime, even in the court of law, you are right to give a defense. Okay, but in the case of Kyrie Irving, there was no opportunity to give a, a defense of what was even done. Okay, these people pose the kind of power where the simple presumption of being against them, insulting them, offending them, could take away your livelihood. Okay, mm. and we've seen it front and center clearly displayed, and we not moved to the degree I think we should be for what's being done. It's not an average black man they're doing this to. They did it to Kyrie. They did it to Kanye. And despite what people may feel about Kanye West, I suggest you look at the big picture of what's being said and done against him because billionaire status got dropped in a day. Okay. And the reason that that happened is because the contract with Adidas, who was surviving based on Kanye's business, they cut the contract. So if these people have the power to make a white-owned company end its business, go damn near into bankruptcy because they said so, baby, we got a problem. We got a real problem, and it needs to be looked into for all our sakes. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sister Danette. Uh, beautiful points that you raised. Um I think I would like to use this opportunity to go into that thing you said semi before, because that's what Frances Walsing says. She said semi meant half. And she said that actually, I understand that um, um, <laughs> it's so interesting. Somebody put our red, black, German Holocaust. That's what I was uh, sharing on the screen for our Furpo car. But um, that, that, that's, this is the point. This comes from Furpo car. That. <laughs> Francis Wilson said that Semite meant they were half. That in other words, they weren't white enough. That's why they were killed. You know, that's why they were uh, targeted. Uh, Hitler's whole thing was about being a pure Aryan, this mythical thing that he had a pure Aryan. And then people that he said were mixed and not 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 fully Aryan. He said that, Please mute yourself. Please mute yourself. Uh, and so Furpo Carr points out that the first concentration camps were of Africans in Namibia. And he had pictures of the cover of that book is a picture of some people in that concentration camp. The next relationship he points to to that whole thing was that. The war that was fought, that, that those pictures are from like 1885, 1895, and the war that came up was really over those various colonies that European powers had in Africa. So you had the French had certain places. Uh, they might have had Senegal and other places, and then the English had places like uh, like Ghana and the, the Germans had Togo and Tanganyika and Southwest Africa, which we now call Namibia, and that these countries all had a fight over those, because that was all money, you know. Uh, the Belgians had the Congo, so on and so forth. And that's what the First World War was about. He traces it to say, now Hitler was in that World War, 
and he felt that they had lost the war. He actually won like the uh, uh, German Cross or something. He was a, a war hero in World War One. He was very upset by the fact that they lost the war that he felt they should have won. Felt they had been sold out. Now at this point, the French. In order to, you know, all those colonies got redistributed among other people. So the French, uh, as an act of kind of like uh, debasing the Germans, he said they sent uh, Singalese troops to, 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 to oversee martial law in Germany. So you had these black men with crisp uniforms and a little money in their pocket and some authority. And, of course, the same thing that happens in most wars, there was mingling between the soldiers and the the people there. Now, Hitler is a defeated soldier watching all this sort of stuff. And in him is seething this uh, resentment over having fought in the war, lost the war, these black guys telling people what to do, these black guys uh, mating with the German women. And so these were all, all these elements went into his particular psychology that made him develop this stuff. Now he was running eventually he became the chancellor uh, of Germany and he already had organized these people that later became the SS and all. He had, he had a paramilitary group. You know, they used to march around because as I said before, he was a war hero. And then they got into this big fight. He got put in jail. In jail, uh, he was, it's really an insurrection just like January 6th. He uh, got put in jail. He wrote the book Mein Kampf, in which he kind of uh, really expresses and fully iterates his whole theory on these things and a lot of this stuff with the Jews and all of that. And ultimately, you know, when people try to get into an argument, I was at a place and they said was, well, which was the bigger Holocaust, the Africans and the, or the black or, or German or Jewish Holocaust, you know, uh, the real fact of the matter is, is that, as Professor Clark points out, four times that many people were killed in Belgium in the, in Belgium in the Congo, uh, you know, by the Belgians. Uh, but the other thing is that it is a part. It's not a separate thing. They weren't killed, essentially, for the religion. They were killed for being too black. They were killed for not being white enough. So this is another aspect of this uh, that... And they don't seem to go after. They have all of these Nazi groups and stuff in the United States. I don't see them going after them with the same vigor and zeal that they go after black athletes and black. So it makes me think that it's not simply uh, the offense. It's the benefit from the offense. You know, an athlete makes a lot of money. I mean, it, one of the first things they were demanding was uh, uh, a half a million dollars to anti-hate groups. That's what they call themselves, an anti-hate group. So I don't know how much of that money went to the uh, the uh, ADL. And then, they, and then you had the NFL also is going to pay. Why are they paying retribution for, uh, I mean, why are they paying uh, um, uh, compensation for, or, or, or paying reparations for, 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 for Kyrie? You know, it is deeper. It's on the one hand, it's what it appears to be on the surface, on the other hand, it's not all Jewish people because that makes you fight too many people. It's actually a group of zealots who are supported by lots of Jewish people and other people. Uh, a group of zealots organized to spy, to smear, to do all of the things that that group does. And then the second piece of it is is that they can. we found in that investigation that it wasn't just people who they thought were anti-Semites. It was people whose economic interests differed from theirs. So Kermit Edie's 
organization, which is a black charity trying to get black charitable dollars away from the black, uh, the uh, United Way and into uh, an independent black charity, he became a target of the ADL. Why? He wasn't anti-Semitic. He didn't have any kind of record or history of anti-Semitism. It is deeper than it appears. It's not only what it appears. Professor, when Dr. Jeffries was talking about a curriculum of, in, a curriculum of inclusion, he was getting into conflict with people in that educational turf that they have. Understand that Randy Weingarten, who was the uh, uh, head of that uh, UFT or AFT or whatever it was, the teachers union, she was on the regional board of the uh, ADL, of the Anti-Defamation League of the B'nai B'rith. It is, it is, it is, it's not, it's not only deep, it's widespread, it's tangled, it's a net. It, you gotta understand it before you can even, uh, deal with it. Now, other people have their hands raised. I see Brother Mark McPhee, you have the floor, sir. Unmute yourself and say what you have to say. Brother Mark McPhee, you gotta unmute yourself and speak. Okay, you seem to be smiling. I don't know if that's a a looped video or something. That's what it appears to be. Okay, so Brother Vincent Riggins, you have the floor. Speak, my brother. Okay, good afternoon. Good afternoon, brother. I'm Brother James and Sister Betty. And I got to request permission from the elders to speak. I'm going to try to be brief. um, You got it. Um, I like to always try to focus on solutions. You guys do a great uh, job of referencing the historical significance uh, where the state of black America is today. But I think it's a time right now to cheerlead people like Kyrie and Ye for having the courage to even come forward and put up any type of defense for themselves. Um, I understand that capitalist society, business ownership is warfare. And this society have, have already developed mechanisms and patterns to make sure black people do not become prominent in business. And we ourselves, even though we produce, earn over $1.347 trillion a year, haven't decided to internalize that weaponry, weaponry of warfare into ourselves. So I'm never going to, I'm never going to, um, subject carry or or, 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 or ye for their responses. I think they were more courageous than the rest of the black people in America today to do that because he lost billions of dollars and we still working for the white man for like $200 a month. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't going to do that. What we got to do, I think what we should have done nationally as black folks in this country without even mentioning a word like boycott, because I'm a proponent of not using old language or language that they already done figured out how to manipulate. But we should have took direct action. If if Adidas, Nike, Gap is going to cancel him, then that $1.3 trillion that we spend should have canceled them. We We didn't even have to say anything about it. It's a personal commitment. Me myself, when I when I found out that Adidas uh, wanted to counsel counsel them, a week before I had bought a nice pair of Adidas and a, and a sweatsuit that I was going to wear around you know this season, I just took it back. I took it back and got my money back. So we of each of forty eight million black people make a make a concerted effort, not 
to give them our money, that would be the most powerful thing that we could do, and they would stop doing that. Because uh, the other thing that I just want to mention, I'm going to get off, German, German, Germans in this country is the number one, one, number one ethnicity. A lot of those Germans, after the so-called Holocaust, migrated to the United States and other parts of Europe and around the world, right? So some of those people that we are referencing as Jews are really German Zionists. And nobody ever made a distinction between that. Even the guy that owned the Nets is a Chinese, a, 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 China, a Chinese national. We're not dealing with that. But they all jump on us, on our backs, right, and victimize black people. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Can I just say one more thing before somebody yeah, coming up? Yeah, one more thing. Yes, yes, brother. I hear a telephone or something in the background. Okay. The other thing, people are representing yay mental disorder. It should not be unique amongst black people. Any black person that's conscious in America today should have some form of mental illness. How can you blame? I mean, why would you even say that? Pan-African, Pan-Africans in this country is suffering from a mental disorder all the way around. Um, I self-identify not as a slave. I believe we need to get away from that terminology as well. We should never re- reference our ancestors as slaves. Actually, what they were is the or, or I am is a descendant of kidnapped black Africans. That's who I am. My ancestors never were slaves. What they were, they had to endure genocide, not slavery. Slavery just quantified the, the, the cost of the free labor and the stolen land. Our ancestors experienced genocide. So we was uh, uh, demanding that this country, NATO, and the rest of Europeans uh, um, compensate for genocide, that it created a whole nother different story. Not only that, it will compete with the so-called 6 million Jew genocide when we lost 100 million. And I'm just going to stop right there. But that's just the way my, my mind works, and I'm always looking for solutions. Kyrie and Ye is not the problem. We got a 400-year history of problems in this country. Thank right, you. Th- thank you, Brother uh, Vincent. Uh, brother Ray Ray, I see that you're on. Uh, you have, what, what, what would you like to say, Brother? Oh, cut that down enough. Uh, uh, how you doing, uh, Dr. Mack and uh, Ray Ray. the audience? Thank you for putting on this very powerful presentation as all the other ones you have. Um, Professor William Mackey used to always say that when the, when the hats came to America, they took over the education system and they will fight to the death to keep control of it. And that's what they have been doing. And he also stated that these people never had a land of their own. But when they came here, this is the land that they're trying to control and keep. Brother Kanye, come out of Chicago. And as everybody knows in Chicago, the gangs run Chicago. They ran them in the old days and they run them now. The Lords and all them other people. If he really wanted to do anything, he would hook up with uh, Fred Hampton Jr., go back home and help his people. So he doesn't want to leave that umbrella of the hats. Early on in his rise to musical power 
in the secret club that goes on in that industry. He stated, I sold my soul to the devil for some trinkets and a happy meal. And when you make a pact with the devil, the devil comes to collect. Plain and simple. So no matter what he does, when you sign a pact and sell your soul to the devil, and he comes to collect, it's time for you to pay. And I don't think it was ever a good time or a bad time for Brother Kyrie. As a black basketball player and very good at his skill, his, his skill they threw him under the bus because they threw the whole COVID, the scandemic, on Kyrie, but they never said anything about the white ball players. They never said anything about the football players and the baseball players. And then they told Adams, let them play. And he folded like a deck of cards. So Kyrie was thrown under the bus way from the beginning because they never mentioned. When they asked the football player, he said, mind your business asking me something for wrong with you so Kyrie was thrown under the bus because they only said the black guy the black basketball player now you can't even put a book out if you put the wrong book out it's something to say. You can't even put the book out because they have something to say. So he's not looking to leave those billions, and he's been a good friend of the Don for a long time. They are very good friends. So... Thank you, Dr. Mack. This is nothing new. They've been doing it for a long time. And I want to give credence. And that's one of the reasons why the Brooklyn William Mackey Jr. Club has its lectures every other Wednesday at 103 Quincy, because we never want these people to be forgotten. We never want the people that sacrifice. And they didn't have to. They could have went the other way and got riches. And when you get a Skip Gates or whatever his name is, to call William Mackey and Dr. Clark and all them pseudo-scholars. I'm a scholar. Tell, Brother Ray Ray, please tell people, uh, I mean, if you, everybody on the Zoom is, you know, is us that I can see. Uh, why don't you tell them? where it is, how to get it, or and, and that sort of stuff, how to come to the program on Wednesday. And then I'm going to uh, move on to... Um, if you put your phone number in the chat, it's 103 Quincy Street, corner Franklin Avenue. We meet every other Wednesday. You put your number and your email, and I will send you the information. Because we don't want to let these people who sacrificed. They, they, it, it, just like Dr. Mack is doing. You never want to let forget them because they will be forgotten. 
And it was a book that Professor Mackey stated, and I can't get the name, Who There Tells the Truth. And it's not just black folk. They go after their own. But he always says they let them eat. They don't let us eat. When they go after their own, they still allow them to get a chicken dinner. When they come after us, we get nothing. Thank you, Dr. Mack, and thank you, audience. Thank you, Brother Ray Ray. Okay, so uh, right now I see uh, it, I'm, I'm going to call Sister Nikki, and then after Sister Nikki, Brother Asakuli, is, is Professor Jeffries there with you, or um, I don't see you. Brother Asakuli? No, I'm, I'm at home today. Dr. Jeffries and, and Dr. Roslin send their regards, and I actually spoke to, to just the, since uh, well, Vapor is so intimately connected with you all at CMOTAB. I just wanted you all to know I just spoke to Mama Adelaide this afternoon. Tomorrow is her birthday, y'all, and she'll be 97 years old. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful. But she sends greetings. She asked how folks were doing, and uh, hopefully um, I'll be able to go and visit her in Philadelphia. uh, Our sister, Deborah Guama, is having her annual Kwanzaa in Parkchester, so hopefully I'll be able to go there and record a message for her, and I'll share with you all as well. Thank you so much, Brother Oscar. Appreciate it. And thank you for your support of our elders. Sister Veronica Nikki, uh, you have the floor. Good day. Peace, love, and light. Thank you. May I have permission to speak? Absolutely. That's what we called you. I, I want to say um, I was able to get a recording um, I remember, well, the recording was actually Malcolm, and he was being interviewed in a 1956 um, television interview, and he um, asked the host, you know, he said, well, um, how did Israel come about? That was his question. And... The man was so proud and he felt so good because he had finished the Oxford debates. So he felt that he was going to teach Malcolm something. And he gave him enough rope that he was able to hang himself. He said that, you know, well, a group of people got together and they decided they would have this area of land and, um, you know, and Malcolm, after he was finished, he said to him, which African did you get permission, a chief, a lawyer, any, was there any black person that gave permission for the most fertile land mass to be taken? He said, as far as I'm concerned, either no person there is there legally. It is more or less the same way that America was taken. And it was complete silence. You know, the man looked like he fell apart, like he just lost his mind. But um, I'm remembering that Khalid had also did a... um, at Keene College, you know, 
I, I, I'm remembering all the different things. And at the end of the day, anytime it comes to economics, that is when they would gather to fight us and throw us all under the bus by any means, anytime that we're exposing truth. Because if you, ed- the more people you educate, the less people you can rob and have them run up for any hollow day. You know, running to to buy and spend money unnecessarily. And and that is my take on Kyrie was not crazy until he told everyone more or less how to make money and what is going on. Also, at least 80 percent of our politicians from the House of Representatives on up, Every branch of our government are Jewish people. We are Jews. You know, we are Jews. So Jews, uh, as far as I know, Dr. Ben is the the, the ultimate Jew (laughs) that uh, taught on like it is when he had the rabbi from the ADL and the ADL Rabbi said, I am not qualified to debate you. That was his words when Dr. Um, ben more or less told him, you, you're not even, and with that, I'm going to end as far as them saying anti-Semitic. I can't be anti-Semitic if I'm black myself. Thank you so much, Sister Nikki. A uh, sister named Nia that I know, Nia uh, Vinoy, she says it's not anti-Semitism you have to worry about. It's anti-Kemetism that you have to worry about. And the other thing is, is that the, in the video we showed, the woman pointed out that the definition of Semitic that that uh, Kyrie was pushing was uh, from the Oxford Dictionary. So that he, she said, you all can disagree with it, but you can't say that it's unfounded that, you know, that he has a, uh, that, that he doesn't have a right to uh, do that. Uh, before, uh, would everybody please unmute yourself? I have one very important thing because I've noticed like nobody's responding to me. I'm telling you that we need to support CEMOTAP. We still have a headquarters. We still have to pay all yeah. the bills that we usually pay, even though we're doing this on a Zoom. Tomorrow, uh, the UNIA will be meeting. All African people are invited. Uh, the meeting starts uh, tomorrow evening. I'll give you the exact thing in a, just a second. And, um, I, uh, you know, so so that's a way when we can start doing something for ourselves and we can start uh, trying to build for ourselves. Because you can't say anything against these people if your finances are coming from there and if your God is there. I mean, you know, it takes you really have to work hard to liberate yourself if the the ideology you're worshiping and the person that's, is that that's where they come from, so on and so forth. You, 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 you really, you really are not going to be able to, uh, uh, to fight these people effectively because you can't really speak up. You have to take some sort of little tangential way of dealing with it rather than directly, because you know that if your finances are coming from, uh, Jewish organizations and Jewish-led organizations, so on and so forth. I mean, even uh, somebody even called me about anti-Semitism the other week when we had Quabbin on talking about this music on uh, WBAI. So even the public uh, uh, radio is uh, under, you know, that type of control. 
But what I want to say is if you want CMOTAP to be independent, if you want us to still be able to do the things that we do, please donate. I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to you. There's still 107 people here. If all of you 107 people were to give a little something, just a little something, CMOTAP can meet all of its bills. So I'm not telling you, but if you have a lot, that's good. If you want to give a large donation, that's good. But people ask me, if you want all of those articles I showed you, if you want to, um, all of those PDFs that I showed in those slides, if you like those, I'll send them. If you want this, uh, uh, I'll send them to you if you make a donation to CMOTAP and ask for it. I'm not telling you how much. Just say you want to receive those documents, and I'll send those to you in an email. Just put your email address in. Thank you, Brother Kwabena. Thank you so much. I see Brother Shaka Shange says I have his support. Sister Tanya said thanks, and Ashe. I'm just asking, talk back to me, people. Say, yes, we hear you, Dr. Mac. We're going to send a little something. Because if all, you know, let me tell you something. Most of the time, I'd say it's less than 10% of the people that are on our Zooms that give. Just a little something. Ayikwe Ama, I'm always quoting him. He said that all of life is twin, giving and receiving. Let he who would cast the spell of death, he didn't say let he, it's a translation. He says, he who would cast the spell of death, no, probably who would cast the spell of death? Separate the two. All of life is twin, giving and receiving. Who would cast the spell of death? Separate the two. So unless you want to cast the spell of death, Please donate something to CMOTAP. You can do it through two ways that I put down here. You can send us a check. It's the simplest way. 13505 Rockaway Boulevard, South Ozone Park, New York, 11420. If you think you're going to forget to do that by tomorrow, and you probably will, then just send uh, Cash App, dollar sign, Dr. CMOTAP. That's dollar sign, D-R CMOTAP, Cash App. And you will have done your duty, and you will see. You're going to see us next week anyway if we don't get a dime. But it would be nice if everybody would participate. Thank you so much, Sister Delcia. Thank you, everybody. All right, so listen, um, we still have 10 minutes if anybody has something that they want to say. We've said, we've, we've talked it up. We've said everything we needed to say today. Uh, but uh, you Dr. may have Dr. Some... Mac, real, real, yes. can I say something real quick too? Yes, let me try to get my screen back. Can you all see pretty well? You all can see okay? If you can see okay, that's okay. Then that's all right. Then go ahead. Then, then, then you got it, brother. You have the floor. Yes, yeah, so I saw an excellent uh, program with Etan Thomas, who's a, a former NBA player. He had with him Craig Hodges uh, from the Chicago Bulls, really conscious brother out of uh, Long Beach State with uh, Professor Amon Ra and those of Long Beach State and also Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Uh, also, it was a real good piece, and they were calling like you know you and I would talk about um, for it. We need an ADL, we need this, and I know, and I would say that to you, you're like, oh, don't compare us to them and the stuff that you're talking about today with the devilish stuff that they do or uh, have been doing. But, um, but like you said, like he said, and so many others say, you know, we have the committee to eliminate media offensive to African people, and I'm just reiterating the support that's needed so we can remain independent and do what we need to do to protect our people. And, and this, these media beasts, man, they own it so tight and so tough. We've been sharing in the chat, if you all can see it, those five items requirements for the NBA to end their current hate. So we've been putting that in the chat and also some other uh, information too. And we'll share a few more inf- uh, items about like the, uh, the state of black music survey and a few other things too. So I just wanted to share that also. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Carmen. Yes. Dr. McIntosh, Deborah Jacob. Hey, Sister Dick. Hi. Good, good. Yes. Um, in a big nutshell, I'm listening to every everything I'm absorbing. I'm the granddaughter of 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 uh, Garveyites that came to this country a hundred years ago. And if you were not raised by people like that, you can't think that way. So all I'm suggesting is that I don't know how we do it. Maybe we can sit down and brainstorm it. But when a person like Kanye West and uh, the other brother Kyrie um, uh, get hurt to the point where they want to react to something, that's the time when you make the circle around them and you teach. I teach in schools, um, all kinds of schools, I've taught in correctional facilities with, with our children that are totally damaged by all kinds of family situations incarcerated. And the thing is, is, is we have to sometimes just suppress that I'm tired of this and just sit down and teach. I don't know, maybe that may sound simplistic, but I really believe if you sit down and you teach, especially when someone's gone through something, um, all of all of these brothers and sisters have been damaged. If you have not grown up with with having black power taught to you when you had diapers on, you're going to be damaged. And so, what we if you take those brothers and sisters and you teach them, you can empower them. And we can't even among ourselves ever talk about what we can't do and what happened. No, we can do it. I don't care what you teach. And if you keep teaching, you can raise people up. That's what the mel the melanin in it is on our brain. You know that. And that that's that's what I really wanted to say. Thank you so much, Sister Deborah. I wonder Doctor, what yes. Doctor, I struggle because I had stroke and I keep missing the unmute button. My name is Mark McPhee. I'm part of the Circle of Brothers, and I taught at Harlem Liberation School. My teachers are Barbara Smalls and Dr. Leonard Jeffries. I want to thank you for laying the case for Dr. Leonard Jeffries. And also, I want to just reiterate something that Dr. Leonard Jeffrey taught his students, and that is he who controls the image also controls the narrative. And so I want to say that I applaud Kanye because Kanye was hopefully moving in the direction of us owning our own. Elijah Muhammad teach us that we should control the economics within our communities. And so this should be a lesson to us that with the trillions of dollars that the black community have, that we must control the economics in our community. And I want to thank you and Simotak for providing this forum. Before I had stroke, I also was on WACR on the Harlem 411 radio show. And my grandparents, along with other Caribbean people, 
1921 founded the African Orthodox Church as members of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, along with the Honorable Marcus Garvey, whom I was named after, and my baby brother is Malcolm after Brother Minister Malcolm X. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you. I'm going to end with, uh, uh, thank you so much, Brother Mark. You did uh, very, very well. I mean, uh, I would not have known that you had a stroke, very articulate, and you had content, good content with what you were talking about. And you certainly established your pedigree for us with the the, uh, Universal Negro Improvement Association, ACL. Uh, I'm going to play uh, an audio and a visual for uh, an article that we put out in May of 19... um, 93. And uh, if you don't understand the ADL after hearing this, there's, there's no hope for you. That's all I can say. But uh, please uh, watch and listen up. Can you see the screen where it says 398 plays? Anybody yes. See that? Yes. Okay. Here you go. Yeah, Dr. Mack, before you go that, what, page report what time is you and I Hold on a second. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I'll have it for you at the end of the video. I'm going to be, I'll go on uh, my, my email and search for it as I'm playing this, okay? Oh, okay. All right. Let's see if I can Sheriff's get Department, again. pertaining to the alleged private and illegal espionage activities of the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, one of the most powerful Jewish groups in the U.S. The 900-page report from the San Francisco Sheriff's Department pertaining to the alleged private and illegal espionage activities of the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, one of the most powerful Jewish groups in the U.S., has landed in New York with bombshell impact. The report, which reads with the ease and suspense of a spy novel, adds a new twist to the often reported increase in black Jewish tensions. It outlines how the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith invaded the privacy of over 1,000 individuals and maintained files on over 10,000 individuals and organizations, including Professor Leonard Jeffries, recently murdered ANC leader Chris Haney, educator Dr. Gerald Horn, the NAACP, the National Conference of Black Lawyers, the Nation of Islam, and the Black United Fund. The report outlines how ADL operatives sold some of this information to foreign governments, such as the Union of South Africa, and exchanged information such as driver's licenses, motor vehicle registrations, and records with both federal and local law enforcement offices. It is through the efforts of Kermit Eady, one of the victims of the ADL spy operation, that the report has attained circulation in New York. After learning that ADL sleuths listed his organization under ADL computer files labeled Pinto, meaning communist leanings but not quite red, Edie decided to do some sleuthing of his own. Said Edie, it is bad enough to be spied upon, but to have our black self-help efforts labeled Pinko, that takes the cake. Edie made calls to the San Francisco Police Department and San Francisco District Attorney's Office and learned that by simply calling 415-552-6326 and mailing a $45 page account of the ADL's activities. The report is a simple declaration of the San Francisco Police Department issued in support of a search warrant 
offices of ADL operatives. The declaration comes complete with 13 attachments called exhibits, which include FBI and police interviews of ADL operatives called, quote, fact finders, unquote. ADL state tax records, list of organizations and individuals kept in the computers of ADL operatives, and inventories of items belonging to ADL operatives. A list of the items found in the briefcase and locker of Thomas Gerard, an officer in the intelligence unit of the San Francisco Police Department, who allegedly provided illegal confidential information to ADL operatives. Although most of the activities of the report occurred on the West Coast and out of the local San Francisco and Los Angeles chapters of the ADL, Reports of activities were allegedly forwarded to the ADL headquarters of New York fact finder Erwin Spall. Personal reports were delivered in New York by the fact finder spy Roy Bullock. In his statements to FBI and police, Bullock makes clear that he operated as simply one of the many fact finders the ADL has around the country. Bullock specifically noted contact with the New York and Washington, D.C. fact finders. Yet, according to Edie, as of this date, Manhattan District Attorney Robert Morgenthau has refused to launch an investigation in New York like they did in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Part of the success of the San Francisco investigation can be attributed to the element of surprise. If you read the report, Edie continued, you can see how investigators were able to get into the ADL offices before they were expected and seize the incriminating evidence. Every day that Morgenthau delays, said Edie, gives the ADL a head start in destroying files and information. Morgenthau, according to Edie, apparently does not believe Bullock's claims. Perhaps Morgenthau would feel differently if he were to read the 1900 edition of the American Jewish Yearbook. The yearbook, Edie noted, which is prepared by the American Jewish Committee, lists on page 536 the publications of the Anti-Defamation League headquartered at 833 United Nations Plaza, New York City. Phone number... The number is but the current number is 885-7700 or 646-370-3555. A document called Backbinding. The book also contains on page 223 what it then an aide to Chicago, Eugene Sawyer. Mute yourself. Goes on to mention Jewish pressure eventually led to Kobe's firing at a New York Times article that virulent anti-Semitism had triggered Chicago's black community. And then in parenthesis, I have the American Jewish Yearbook uh, uses the lowercase letter B when it refers to blacks. Some of Bullock's comments lend an explanation to how comments made in a presumably all-black nation of Islam meeting can so effectively reach the press. Bullock described how he had to obtain
hiding from Los Angeles ADL office a secret FBI report on the Nation of Islam in order to send it to Myra Bolin, Washington, D.C., fact finder, for an article she was writing, and then I have in parenthesis, planting in Washington, D.C. Wilbur Tatum, Amsterdam News Editor, has also spoken of reports that the ADL provided renegade New York Post reporters that they used to label him as anti-Semite in their infamous teardrop issue of March 16, 1992. Media activist Betty Dobson says that Tatum's claims are valid and is urging her members to write Mayor David Dinkins demanding an investigation. Dobson cites one line of the report which reveals that the AFL-CIO gave a grant to the ADL to investigate the right-wing group called Posse Comitatus. I wonder, said Dobson. Can't hear the sound. Hold, hold on a second. There's no sound. Okay. Okay. I'll fix it. Let's stop. Okay, can you all hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm going to try to find this file, stop it, and then I'll, I'll start it back where it stopped. I'm going to stop it. If you can hear me, I'm not on the microphone anymore. So can you hear me well enough? Uh, anybody? Can you hear me? No. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to, I don't know what I can do to make the sound, but you know what I can do that's even better. I can click to this video and I can put the link to it right here. It's, it's at, yeah, you'll see. In other words, just cut this. I'm going to put it in the chat for everybody. Pasted it. Okay, that right there is the link. You can listen to it for yourself. You can yeah. listen to it for yourself. It's in the chat. Does everybody know how to get it out of the chat? No, no, no. Right, listen, you got to put on your, you got to mute yourself. Okay. Um, any, if anybody has a problem right now, either raise your hands, take your mic off, tell me what the problem is. I've put it into the chat, the link. That very link that you were hearing just now, you can go right to SoundCloud and hear it for free. 
uh, and you'll hear the end of that article. I mean, I thought it was very interesting that he had a stamp from the Council General of the Philippines because he eventually fled to the Philippines with whom the United States had no extradition, uh, no extradition treaty at that time uh, to return him. That was Officer Gerard. Uh, the head of the fact finders was Erwin Swall, and he was here in New York. You can actually Google these people. The one Myra Bolin that he was talking about, her first name was, her, her entire name is Myra Lansky Bolin. Does the name Myra Lansky sound similar to you? It sounds yeah. a lot like Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky. Well, I have seen at least one thing on the internet uh, alleging a relationship, maybe a granddaughter, something like that. But she was one of the main fact finders probably still active, uh, was at the uh, Washington Times. I can't swear that she is Myron Lansky's uh, relative, but uh, I have seen seen it written that she was. Now, and the reason why it's significant is because Myron Lansky and his associates, they were supporters of the ADL. Uh, that ADL actually gave the, um, their, that same Torch of Liberty award that I spoke about before, they actually gave it to Mo Dalitz. Mo Dalitz was another one of the, uh, you know, alleged Jew Jewish gangsters who was an associate of uh, Myron Lansky. So, you know, it, it, it's not totally out of the uh, picture that his granddaughter could be working with the uh, ABL. Says, could not find playlist. I don't know what to tell you. I gave you the link as I, as I have it. Uh, it's amazing how these things happen. Let's take a look. I'm link. I'm clicking it myself to see what I get. Mm. Okay. Somehow. Okay. This is. Okay. I get it. I, I don't know if you know. I don't know why you don't get it. It's, you, you'll see. You don't have to find a playlist. You just have to look for the one. It's called the name of that particular uh, tape. Is called. The ADL has no moral authority to uh, question anybody. The so ADL has no moral authority. That's probably that's, that's that's what you need to do. So on SoundCloud. So we're over time. There's still 88 people online. Uh, last reminders: please donate to CMOTAP. I know that there are people who Dr. Maat said she would be on here. I know that Betty Dobson was be on here. They're playing games with. People being able to get into the uh, into the uh, into the Zoom, we um, you know we have a nice crowd here now. This is bigger than the Zooms I used to give in the beginning. It's, it's here even at the end, but uh, that's it. Unless there's something, let's see. Uh, there's a few messages. We don't get access to the SoundCloud to even look for it. Anybody that's on Facebook, I'm gonna give you a Facebook uh, link to the same thing. Let me just see. Yeah. Dr. Mack, I just went on and found it and shared another link. So folks try Thank that you. try that link family. Thank you. Thanks uh so much. Uh let me see if I can find this on Facebook. I'll give you an, a, a, another link. Here it is. I found it. Uh and you can hear it also at the same So Dr. Mack, while you, while you look that up, too, I do want to uh, ask the Absolutely. people again that are still on here. It's Resolution 0975-2019, 0975-2019. Uh, so it was actually over three years ago 
when we uh, had uh, Sister Inez Barron uh, put forth that resolution condemning these radio stations in New York. Um, so we still need to have that passed. So again, 0975-2019. So let your councilmen know, council people know that we want to get that heard. Um, these radio stations, again, every time our children turn on these radio stations that target them, they're being, in bombs are being dropped on them. Their women folk are being called B's and H's. They're being told to shoot and kill each other. It's uh, it's ridiculous. So wanted to make sure, you know, we knew that. We shared also information about the book one of our comrades did called Who Stole the Soul, The Weaponization of Hip Hop yes. uh, by Bernard Creamer. Uh, also the Metropolis newspaper uh, that has a lot of articles dealing with this um, issue of uh, clearing the airwaves. So, again, appreciate you um, allowing us to be on here with the people. Um, that information is going to the NBA, the Players Association, um, by the beginning of next week on those five things that they got to do to get rid of the current hate that's going on right now in the NBA. Okay, listen, for those of you who are still on, I assume you all are the hardcore, I'm going to read a short article to you, much shorter article on, uh, I'm going to read it right here. And it's it's an article that Brother Quab and I sent out last year to all every elected official here and local elected officials, council people and the assembly people, and really we got no response. But it's about uh, anti-Semitic song receiving a uh, an award. Hold on a second, I think I have it here. You'll get and it's it that's that's tongue in cheek. It says anti-Semitic song is triple Grammy nominated. It's quite hard to believe that a triple Grammy-nominated record this year has the following lyrics seemingly encouraging the shooting of Jews, although the lyrics spell it Jews, J-O-O-S. The song has the following lyrics. Because the codeine had a young Jew a swerving, I got the mop, watch me wash him like detergent. And I'm balling, that's why I'm, that's why it's diamonds on my jersey. Slide on Ops' side and flip the block back. Yeah, yeah, my junior popped him, and he left him lopsided. Yeah, yeah. The reason it's so hard to believe is because it would never happen. The same lyrics, however, with the word niggers or niggas, N-I-G-G-A-S in the record, called rock star by the baby and Roddy Rich, are considered perfectly acceptable and indeed nominated for three Grammy Awards in 2021. The group called the Clear the Airways Project, headed by Kwabana Siddiqui Jijaka Rasuli, believes that these type of lyrics are making young black men disrespect and even kill each other. Kwabana says his group is making sure that this murderous insult does not take place in silence. They've been addressing the issue of murderous, misogynistic lyrics for years and have recently begun to step up pressure on the Grammys. Recently, in a panel discussion sponsored by Cenotap, Rasuli termed this triple Grammy-nominated song as unacceptable. The next heading is called Who Stole the Soul. Other members of the group include author Bernard Creamer, who in his book, Who Stole the Soul, has termed these types of violent songs as part of the, quote, weaponization of hip-hop, unquote. In this week of the Grammys, they are calling for elected officials and community leaders to condemn these types of lyrics and to pressure the Grammy committee to refrain from rewarding what they call, quote, murder music, unquote. They are also encouraging people to call and or write the Grammy committee to protest this award. And then there's a number there that was for the Grammy committee, and that was something that we did uh, last year. And I just um, I did that for you because uh, 
I'm going to mention that particular action. Brothers and sisters, I heard James Small say one time, even a delicious meal uh, can give you a stomach ache if you eat too much. So uh, we've been here. We are 17 minutes over the time. Uh, unless somebody has something specifically urgent, I'm going to uh, we're going to end. I'm going to again encourage you to please donate to Simba. Please donate to Simba. I've given you the uh, number to do it a couple of times, but for those of you who don't remember, you can just do dollar sign. Is that dollar sign? Dollar sign. Type it for you again. Dollar sign. Doctor. Simo tap. Or just. Mail a check to CMOTAP at 135-05 Rockaway Boulevard, South Ozone Park, With that being said, people who want to save the chat, you'll see a smiley face on the bottom of the chat. And to the right of that, you see three dots. If you click those three dots, that'll save the chat as a file in your computer. So uh, with that being said, unless there's something extremely urgent, uh, we're going to end this. Brother Ray Ray, yes, sir. Uh, just real quick, family, on YouTube, they have a comedy show by a hat called A-R-I-S-H-A-F-F-I-R, titled June 2022. Hey. Well, oh, shoot, wait a minute. Hey, sis, when we're you, on the same Zoom. When you see that, oh, yeah. go on YouTube. Oh, they, they're getting ready to. They were just... Uh, and, Ms. Jacobs, we can hear you. I just muted her. Yeah, go on YouTube and type that in and have the time of your life. All right, did you poke? Can you drop the link in the chat, uh, Brother Ray Ray? In the chat, A-R-I-S-H-A-F-F-I-R. This hat is going off and ain't nobody saying nothing. I'm going to put it in the chat. Thank you, family. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mack. All right, everybody. Um, Doc, how do we save it again? The three dots? Yeah. How do you save it again? The chat. Okay. Uh, you go down on the right-hand side. Uh, where, go down where the chat is, to the bottom of the chat. All the way to the bottom. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the chat. You see new messages. You have to click that so you get all the way to the bottom. And you okay, see to the bottom of the face. chat. Right. You see a little smiley face on the right. Right. The right of that smiley face is three dots. Click those three dots and it will save the chat as a file in your computer. Okay. Click the three dots. Thank you. All right, everybody, uh, if you're home, stay home safe. Uh, if you're not home, uh, you don't have to go home, but you do have to get off of this soon. One more question. Where do you find the file once you've saved it? Where, what does it show up as? Somewhere in your computer. I advise you to search in the okay, thank you. file explorer and you can find it. Okay. Uh, it'll be, um, yeah, 
I have to find it. It's a chat or Zoom or something like that. I don't know. Okay, it'll have a day's date, right? It goes to your document file. Okay. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. I'm about to end it. Going once, twice, three times. Click the end. Recording.